Good evening, lovely people, and Happy New Year. It is Tuesday, January 3rd. The Lopes open WAC play 1-0 for the ninth time in 10 tries in school history as they overcame the Lancers of Cal Baptist in a back-and-forth contest. GCU will now leave the friendly confines of Phoenix and head deep in the heart of Texas as it faces arguably its most difficult road trip of the season. They will square off with current WAC darling Sam Houston State on Thursday before a Saturday clash with Stephen F. Austin. Will the Lopes avenge last year's two losses from the same road trip, or will us fans be met with shattered aspirations? All I know is we're excited to talk about it, and we hope you are too. A new episode of Win the Whack 2.0 starts now. Big by McMillan for three. Dishes out the blaster for three. Go! Harrison. Up high. Put back by the corner. Push back on Harrison quickly to the clock and drives baseline. Barrel. No doubt about it. Oh, Barry, you bounced out of your seat on that. I never did. With a big right hand, give the Lopes a three-point advantage. Last week, I was hanging out <clears throat> with one of my friends, and this is a... Uh, uh, this is someone who I, I went to high school with and also to college with. <clears throat> so she went to GCU with us and she somehow mentioned like, Hey, it came up in conversation that she'd actually never been to a GCU basketball game, even though she went there. And I thought, Oh, that's really crazy. Um, that you've somehow managed to never go to a game after going there for like many years. Um, so she was like, well, let's go to the, let's go to the Cal Baptist game. So I was like, okay. So, um, so we go to the Cal Baptist game and it was just really funny because she doesn't really like, she doesn't know ball. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> she, she doesn't she, know ball, you know, she don't know ball. <laughs> yeah. So what what know was ball. that experience? Uh, like? And so, so, so it was the, here's, this is, I think the perfect, like we just been saying this forever. And it's so funny that someone who's like never watched basketball has the same like observation, which is in the first half, um, we just like weren't playing very well, you know, like, and we ended up doing pretty all right in this game. We were not playing well for a stretch there in the first half. Mm -hmm. And she just looks over me and she's like, are we not a good team? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, Oh, and I was like, no, like we're, we're not bad. Like we're probably, we're probably better. Than like we're supposed to win this game. We're a pretty decent team. And she's like, okay. And then she's like, are they not allowed to like get closer <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? And she's like, they're like really far from like the hoop. And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, and they're trying to put it in the hoop. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, they're so far away. Why don't they just get closer? And it's so funny because like, I kind of like, I kind of, I kind of get it. Like I totally get it. And that like, I also have that frustration with GCU's offense of like, just get close, just drive. Stop doing dribble handoffs at the three-point line all game. <laughs> but I just thought it was so funny that someone who does not know ball has us totally pegged as like, I don't know. I don't know about this team. They don't really want to get near the hoop. So uh, I don't know. So that was my those observations of the Cal Baptist game from someone who's not a basketball watcher. Now, of course, in the second half, uh, we turned it around, but I just thought that was hilarious that is funny people who don't know ball really exposing us for what we truly are yeah. and that's just a yeah. mid basketball team yeah it's actually funny so i also had a, a couple of friends who you know well i shouldn't say a couple of friends a friend who doesn't know ball 
come and watch with us. And, um, I was, I was looking at her and I, and I said, we are the 302nd team in the nation in effective field goal percentage. And she was like, I don't know what that means. And I was like, that means the shots that we're supposed to make, we don't don't make them. (laughs) She says, oh, that's bad. (laughs) But yeah. Hey, before we get into the game even more, um, let's open up with questionable scenarios. Perfect. Hey, you ready for this? Yeah. If you competed with all the other WAC super fans on Twitter in a contest where you had to keep your hand on an object the longest to win, and the prize was your team winning the WAC and heading to the NCAA tourney as a 12 seed, how long do you think you could last? What excuse me? What extremes would you go to to ensure a victory? What measures would you take? How would you sabotage other whack Twitter super fans? Okay. This is so great. Um, do I like, I'm assuming that people are like bringing like food and water and stuff. Like I can eat like people like, you know, like, yeah, I'm assuming that like, I won't die. Just like, I will in three days, I'm going to die of thirst. Um, so like people are bringing food and water, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll supply you. All right. So first, yeah, I think like the first 12 to 18 hours is like fine. <laughs> like, 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 seriously, like, it's like, all right, it's fine. Um, I think like it, dude, all right, I'm gonna just keep it real. Like, how would you go to the bathroom? Like, I think, no, I seriously, that I might be like, real. that might be a, a point of, of great contention because your options are hold it or go Zach I'll bring you a bucket and a shower curtain jeez a bucket and a shower curtain <laughs> is this what's really holding you back Zach no here's what I'll tell you um I think I could do I think I could go three days I think I can go 72 hours and I think if it's longer than that I will simply do you think you would win with three days? Yeah. Uh, okay. Here's. All right. Let me tell you a little story. Uh, very related to this. Okay. Many years ago, when I was a middle schooler, the Phoenix Suns offered a similar contest. And the contest was this. Any fan there. The prize is you get to go on a road trip with the Suns. They were going to Texas. So basically, you stay in the hotel. They were playing like the Rockets and the Mavs. So it was like a two-game road trip in Texas. You go to the hotel. You're in the locker room with the team. You're sitting courtside, and like you're just hanging out with the team and the coach. And this was like – this was when the Suns were starting to get bad again, right? It was like towards the end of like the Nash, Stoudemire, Marion era. So like they, were, they weren't like great. They were like fine. They were like starting to like not be very good again. Um, it was like, it was like the right before the, area. It yeah, it was like right era. before because they were there was a while where they had Isaiah Thomas, uh, oh, Bledsoe, yeah. and Gorn Dragic, and they were pretty good. So I think it was that era where like they weren't horrible yet. Um, but they had a contest like this, and here's the contest: anyone who wants to compete can come to the Suns Arena, and you're out back and like, uh, like behind the stadium they have that like you know the have you ever like watched like you've been to Suns games right? Couple, yeah. So they have that like back area where like um tom chambers and tom leander do their like post game show and then you see like kind of like outside 
So they're basically there. And the contest is you're just dribbling a basketball. Okay. Anyone who wants to come, just come out, dribble a basketball. And the last person left dribbling the basketball wins the contest, wins the trip. Was it like dribble so knockout friend... where you could like knock people's ball out of the way? No, no, no. Or... You're not okay. like messing with just each straight other. up. It's just not. dribble the so basketball. So everyone's just, yeah. Yeah. And so whoever does the longest wins. And you know, there's like hundreds of people out there. Okay. My best friend, Jared, <clears throat> we played basketball together. His dad entered the contest. Um, and Jared's dad is awesome. He was one of our coaches for a year. So he goes to, to do the, the contest. And we're like thinking like, hey, this is really cool. Imagine if you won. Okay. Well, he dribbled for 54 hours. And Dang. won the contest. Dang. And he won the contest at 54 hours. Wow. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Um, and so what I'm thinking is like 54 hours was enough to win a contest like that, but you actually had to do something, right? And dribbling a basketball is actually harder than just like having your hand on a thing, I think. Yeah, dude. So your like arm would get so tired. Yeah. I mean, you could like switch, but like, yeah. yeah. So I think like if, if he if he can win a contest dribbling for 54 hours, I think that like holding my hand on a thing for 72 would be enough. I think okay. I'd do it. Okay. That's so, my that's my logic. So how would you sabotage other Twitter super fans or whack Twitter super fans? Um or would you? I would just be, I would just be really annoying. I would just play into like the lope thing. Like I would just be like singing the fight song, you know, <laughs> and just like, just so obnoxious. Um, you'd be, just saying all of our Havocs chants. You'd be arguing with Aggie Fanatico. In my Havocs class where I get paid to attend, they taught me this. And I would just, <laughs> just like, <laughs> just try to drive you guys How to crazy. hold my hand on objects so that my team could win the whack. We practice this in my habit class. I'm getting four college credits for this. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you sabotage? Who would you sabotage if you could? See, it's actually funny. I'm trying to think of like super fan. I guess like Aggie Fanatico is the easy one of like this guy is like kind of the most vocal in Mexico State fans. Um, there was a big, there was a Cal State Bakersfield super fan that I that I follow, but he's not in the conference anymore. So like I don't really interact with him. Um, I feel like I feel like I don't know the other team's fan base as well as I did a couple years ago. Sure. Because I remember like when we did this podcast, like in 2018, 19 or whatever year it was like we had people from all like I, I was getting in Twitter fights with people from every team, you know, yeah, and Twitter uh, was now, a very hostile place. It was really bad. The New Mexico State game, like if we lost that game, I you just couldn't get on Twitter for the night. It was like it was tough. It was tough. Well, we were running um, a burner account for GCU, too, and. Oh, we I, got into, I found the login for that pretty recently. <laughs> We're not going to disclose which one. We can't. But, we can't. But it's, it exists. We, can we got in a lot of Twitter fights back in the day. Yeah, that was a good time. Um, but yeah, Aggie Fanatic, I mean, what a guy. Um, I don't know. I don't know that I would go to too much effort of sabotaging. I think I would just hold out. Okay. Yeah. Going to take the high road. So proud of yeah. you. Yeah. That's hey, the, the I, low open. I got a couple of things that I want to talk about before we head into the game. All right. Okay. So, are you familiar with the college basketball championship belt? No. Okay. College basketball. So, this is actually really funny. So, okay. you know how in college football, for a long time back in the BCS era, um, 
the top two ranked teams just would go to the national championship game and there wouldn't be a playoff or anything. Yep. And um, a lot of people kind of disputed like, oh, are these really the best two teams and stuff like that? Well, right. some people thought it would be a good idea to determine the championship based on a hypothetical championship belt, like wrestling. And okay. they they went back and archived or, or looked through the archives of games back in like the 70s to determine where uh, to start. Is this and the they, MacGuffin? Are you describing the MacGuffin to me? Maybe. I don't know. I just know it's called the college football championship belt. Does Washington have it? Yeah. This is the MacGuffin. Oh, well, I haven't heard of it referred to that. But yeah, anyway, oh, so yeah, it's they the went MacGuffin. back to like yeah. the 1970s Sorry, Cornhuskers from Nebraska. And yeah. like every single game they've played, there's like a there's a, a challenger and then the champion of that game. And so this belt has been passed from team to team from year to year. Ooh, and but it uh, started way further than that. It started like at the very beginning of college football, in like the early 1900s between like two Ivy League schools. Oh, really? There's like there's a TikTok account solely devoted to the history of they call it the MacGuffin. Okay. And it's just like you can see like the progression of every game. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah no, I have not heard of the I'll MacGuffin. You after. The only the only awesome. one that I've heard of is just this college football championship and they they did it with Nebraska 1970s is when they started it. And yeah, so Washington defended their title against Texas in in their uh recent bowl game. Um, but anyways, yeah. so that got me thinking, is there a college basketball championship belt? Now it's Ooh. a little different because there is a tournament every single year to determine who the champion is. And so it's, it's, it's kind of a foolproof system, but during the season, the championship belt can be passed around a lot. And so yeah. the current holder of the college basketball championship belt is none other than the Arizona Wildcats. Who took it from Tennessee? Who took mm -hmm. it from Kansas? And so yeah. I was wanting to think of something like that we could do for the uh, for the WAC. And so the WAC championship belt this season started with New Mexico State, and the yeah. current holder then would Southern be Utah. Southern Utah. Yeah, so because they lost, they beat them, and then they won. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll make a whole history of of the WAC championship super belt or whatever. But the current holder is Southern Utah. I love this. <laughs> this is a great. This is a great thing. Awesome. Yeah, with college basketball, it's hard because uh, every single team competes in their conference tournament, yeah. and the winners of the tournaments are automatically in the NCAA tournament. So no matter who has it at the end of the regular season, it's going to get funneled through the NCAA tournament, and then whoever wins the Natty will end up with it. So, exactly. It would just be kind of lame. It'd but, be more so of uh, like a regular season kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I like it. All right. Let's dive into the um to the GCU game from from this past weekend. You and I both went to the yeah, game. Yeah. We did. Uh, you you said you were sitting over on the uh on the side where the students usually sit, right? I was. How far back yeah. were you? Uh 15 rows or so. Okay, gotcha. I was, it was um, yeah, it was a good time. I was actually behind the basket above the band in the second row or in the second tier. Oh, I was actually that was a really cool view of the game. Yeah, yeah. I went was, to they're like right on top right. of it. No, it's cool. I went to the Montana State game and sat in the upper tier, and it was like kind of awesome. I don't know, like that wasn't there when we were like students there, was it? Did they have an like the upper deck? Yeah, it was. It oh. actually was installed oh. right before we got there. Oh, I don't ever, maybe I just like, yeah, just always sat in the students. I mean, I did always sit in the student section, but I didn't even like know that that was up there. 
wild. So I I was there. I sat there for chapels, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I actually um, have season tickets. And last year I was behind the basket um, on the on the opposite side of the band. And I only had one ticket. And this year I wanted to get two. So I got put on the wait list for two. They never contacted me. Then I saw this ad for season tickets on sale. So I went and bought some. And I actually bought the seats that I sat in for chapel every single Monday. And it's up in the second tier. um, Up in the second tier of the bowl across from the band. And uh, yeah, no, we didn't sit there. But um, because I had like a group of six or seven people. And I only have two tickets. But yeah, I... uh, I should sell those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tickets are hard to find. Like, they really are. They're yeah. unless unless GC's I, giving them away like for free difficult... with with promo code yeah, faith. <laughs> but students are gone. I mean, like that's only because all the like, students are gone. True. I actually like that. I think they I mean they kind of do, but I think that's a really good yearly tradition is like the winter break games with all the students gone, just market it really hard to like alumni and kids. And yeah. try to like get a bunch of people there because like it was still pretty popular. That was a great like a lot of people crowd. were there. It wasn't nearly as hype. Mm-hmm. It wasn't nearly as hype as a normal GCU game, but it was like there were a lot of people there and they were pretty into it. So I was it was I a was solid good. crowd. Yeah, yeah. What are your yeah. thoughts on the game? Um, I think uh, I think we I think we looked pretty decent. Um, I thought that in the first half, uh, the offense was kind of stagnant as usual. Um. The big question I had coming into the game was defense, because remember uh, our defense had kind of been the thing we relied on. Y.O. got injured. And then in that like Idaho state game, our defense looked really bad uh, with Y.O. out. So we thought like, is this going to be a recurring thing? I thought our defense bounced back. I think they looked pretty good. Um, I really liked. um, I really liked what I saw from Gahan. I thought he was kind of awesome. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I, I liked I liked what I saw a lot. I think we, we looked pretty good. Um, Isaiah Carr got the start. That's kind yeah. of a, a big story. Isaiah Carr, um, we've talked about him a little bit the last couple of weeks with Y.O. going out. He was redshirting this year. He's a freshman. Uh, I think he was player of the year last year in high school in New Mexico. He's from Las Cruces. Um, redshirting this year and now with Y.O. likely out for the rest of the year. Um, he got the start yesterday and he looked pretty good. Yeah, no, he, he looked, looked solid. Good. He looked solid. A few more buckets would have been nice, but it is what it is. He got 12 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that um, was actually yeah. with him in it. That's a, a brand new starting five for GCU with Blackshire, Harrison, Baker, McLaughlin, and Isaiah Carr. And I actually just saw today, I think it was on, on Lopes Twitter. Um, there was an, a whole article written about Isaiah Carr and his, I guess, journey to um the burning of his red shirt. And he, I guess like had a conversation with his dad and his dad was like, yeah, you got to go for this. Like you got 20 games left in the season. You got to like, this is a great opportunity. So I'm actually really intrigued to like, I I guess we'll never find out probably, but um, really interesting to think about what was going through the coaching staff's um, heads when they were trying to decide whether he was going to remain a red shirt or not. And what the mm-hmm. pros and the cons were because with a red shirt, like we had talked about previously, you get a whole year in the program without really the risk of, you know, injury in a game or um, putting things on film for the other teams and, and what they need to scout for. But um, yeah, no, I think, I think we have a lot of promise with him. He looked, yeah. he looked really decent. And I think he really used his length really well in that game. Yeah. 
And I liked I liked the decision by the coaching staff to not try to rush him in for the Idaho State game. Right? They played it slow, knowing that he's on a red shirt. We'll just, we'll play this one out without Yo. See how it goes. Clearly, it, it did not. I mean, we still won the game, but it, it didn't go very well on the defensive end. Um, yeah, I really liked what I saw from Isaiah Carr. And you know, I mean, it too is like that was his first college game. Like that was the first college basketball game that we've seen him play, and and that's like not a bad game. Yeah, no. Um, in that he, article, he they pretty were saying, comfortable. In that article, they were saying his last basketball game that he played in was the state championship in New Mexico. Yeah. Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. He looked good. He looked good. I, I was impressed with him. Um yeah, I thought I thought he was I thought he was good. Hey, um, I also was really impressed with what I saw from Noah Bauman. I thought he looked really good. Um I this is we've kind of been saying is like we got him as like he was, you know, like this is a guy who played in the SEC last year and was like like a dude to come off like he was a knockdown shooter off the bench. Like that's his role. Like, where is that guy? That guy showed up against Cal Baptist. We, we looked, saw that yeah. guy. He was really solid. Yeah, um, he looked good. I was really impressed with him. He's actually going to be involved in our offensive play of the game. Good. Yeah. Yep. He, yep. Looked, he looked really good. Uh, Ray Harrison, again, looked really good. Yeah, um, he started out kind of slow. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, he really heated up. He actually um, was the high scorer for the team and everything. So, yeah, no, he had a solid game. And he also had that really cool bucket at the end of the game, right, Who uh, where he – hit that fade away after the, uh, the self offensive rebound got the yeah. one. That was pretty yeah. sweet. <clears throat> um, regarding yeah. the offense, you, you said they looked kind of bad in the first half. There was that point like really early on <laughs> you and I were texting during the game. It's actually really funny. You said something like Javon Blackshirt is the best shooter in the nation with his foot on the three point line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, because he had three shots in a row. That he just like was he was at the three point line, steps on the line, and then drains it just three in a row. Um, and I was like, dude, like just shoot the three or like just, <laughs> just go to the elbow. One, like, one what step are we back. doing? <laughs> no, he was killing he yeah, he had a stretch, I think, where he got three three lopes baskets in a row with Javon shooting a shot with his foot on the three point line. Um, he he looked a lot better. He did Cal Baptist. He 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 yeah, he looked back to his old self. Um, but regarding the offense. Uh, you had said that they they looked kind of bad. I actually saw some things that I found really promising from them. I saw them using some actions that I have not really seen from them lately, and it could have just it could have just been the angle that I was watching it from. I was behind the basket and was able to see a little bit more. Um, maybe that's the case, but I did notice they used some staggered off ball screens, which was really cool. Um, I haven't really noticed that previously from them. Um, it's a nice little mix up from like you had said earlier with the dribble handoffs around the three point line. Um, just yeah. an opportunity to get guys open a little bit more. Um, another one I noticed was almost got a lob um, against Cal Baptist on a weak side flare screen, which was really cool. When I saw it the first time I was like, Oh, that's, that's some pretty nice Spain action, but it actually wasn't, there wasn't any screen on the screener, but um, they had, you know, overloaded one side and then set a flare screen on the opposite side um, lane line. And Ray Sean Harrison, I think, almost caught a lob, um, but he came down with it and wasn't able to put it down. But I, I thought that was really cool. I saw a little twist action off ball in the corner with Gabe McLaughlin and Josh Baker, which was really cool. So, I mean, you said we we didn't look good offensively. We had we were knocking down some shots early on, and then we kind of yeah. went cold for a long stretch. 
-hmm. And it wasn't a matter of not getting good shots. I feel like it was very similar to the um, Montana State game. We're getting good looks and we're just not finishing. And I think they they struggled finishing at the rim. And that goes into what I was saying earlier about what I had showed my friend from the Ken Palm stats. We are 306th in the nation in effective field goal percentage. That is so bad. We are 300, not only in effective field goal percentage, in three-point percentage, we're 253. And in two-point percentage, we're 306 as well. Like that is... <laughs> We're getting the effective shots. We're getting good looks. We're just not finishing. Right. Which is a massive bummer. Yeah. There was, and I, I will say overall, I think this was one of our better offensive games. Um, we did have a stretch where we were really cold, but we also had a stretch where we went on a run and just like kind of killed them. Um, I was really impressed. Yeah. I think what we're seeing is, the the spread ball screen is not it for this offense. Um, yeah. Like for whatever reason, especially with without guys. Yeah. I don't think that's the move. And we've gone away from that more. The more we go away from that, the it seems the better things are. I think, uh, yeah. I think a lot of off ball screens were really good. I think uh, Carr and, and Igeon both have um, things that, that they can do better uh, with like setting off ball screens, um, being able to space the floor, maybe a little more, um, and Gabe McLaughlin, I mean, he spent, um, he spent a lot of time playing the five in, in certain lineups too. And he's just really athletic. They have a lot of, uh, they have a lot of flexibility when they have, um, uh, when they have Bauman and McLaughlin as their four and five, the, they have a lot of ability to just set off ball screens because part of what the problem was is like, if YO sets an off ball screen for a guy at the three point line and he's driving in, his guy is not going to guard him. Right, because he's not going to shoot a three. But yeah. when we have Bauman at the floor, at the four, and McLaughlin at the five, uh, that's not on the table. And so we got a lot. Like, we just got a lot of backdoor stuff. Uh, I also really think that both Chance McMillan and Rayshon Harrison uh, can just cook. And I, I like. I honestly, normally, and like, I'm a pretty like. I think we're both kind of basketball purists in the sense that we like real offenses. Right, we don't like. Uh, the Nets under Steve Nash, where it's like, just let this guy run ISO 70 times, right? But I think I'm okay with seeing it a little more. And I think we are seeing it a little more. And I think that Chance McMillan and Ray Harrison both kind of have like a bag that like they can just get to the rim and we just need to get to the rim. So I, I like seeing that from them um, occasionally. I think what we're seeing is we, we saw a glimpse of the Lopes are going to have to go small moving forward and it, it actually might be very dependent on how isaiah Carr moves forward minutes wise and and and, and production wise i suppose um because he could be a good substitute for what we had in in yo um but he only got 12 minutes like we said in this game and igayon only had 17 they didn't play very much we had like you said um McLaughlin and and Bauman kind of flip-flopping for the five so we went pretty small um and we are getting really a glimpse of a completely different Lopes team at least offensively and I'm actually kind of encouraged by that um and I don't know that our defense has taken a step back I I was really pleased with the defense um you mentioned that they had a really good game. We held CBU scoreless for the final 533 of the game. Yeah. 
That's incredible. And, and, and GCU has done that before where they've held teams scoreless for very long stretches, but to end the game, like they didn't even hit free throws. They didn't hit anything. Um, not only that, we held them to 59 points, which is tied for Cal Baptist's second lowest offensive output um, in a game this year. Yeah. Which is really, really solid. Yeah. No, that was really good. Um, I thought we played really well. Um, I, I'm glad to see us playing really well, given that our next game is probably the hardest game on the whole schedule at Sam Houston. Yep. Um, so I, I liked what I saw. Um, and, and I'm interested to see how it'll go against Sam Houston. Um, it's yeah. going to be a gauntlet. It is Sam Houston. I, I was, I don't know. I mean, like, well, obviously we'll get into this later, but, uh, they played at Utah Valley while GCU was playing Cal Baptist. So I, I didn't get to watch any of that game live. I went back and watched it later, but like I, they got like kind of stomped. Like yeah. Utah Valley's kind of crazy. Kind of crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So they're, I, they're very good. I guess like, and I, what I got from that game is it wasn't even like, oh, Sam Houston's not as good as I thought. It's like, no, Utah Valley's crazy. But that was um, in Utah Valley, right? It was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we have, uh, we only have Sam Houston once and it's our next game on the road. And we only have Utah Valley once and it's at home. So that, and that I think is later in the year. So that'll be a big one. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the Sam Houston is a big one, Yeah. but, um, but yeah, um, I, I was really impressed. I thought we played really well. I really like this. I really like the small lineup with McLaughlin at the five, but McLaughlin plays like a big man. Like he will, he like leads the team in rebounds, even when YO was there and he'll yeah. like battle with their five in the paint. And he's like, like, he's a great rebounder, honestly. So I'm fine with him. Like he's like a, this, this, all right, this might be mean. He's like PJ Tucker, but like he can actually like shoot the three, you know, how PJ Tucker is like a <laughs> six foot seven center. Yeah. You know, yeah. He's like that where he's just like so obnoxious and he like plays way bigger than he is, but he can space the floor. And that's, what's so hard about him. Um, so I think, I really I think like, his biggest, I, like I think his biz- biggest positive is he's just so fundamental. Yeah. And, and and he really just goes for it. He's he's super physical. Um, he's just a dog, you know. He's yeah, he's got that dog in him. <laughs> That's why he's my favorite player, bro. Dude, he's just great. He's <laughs> really great. Um, um, however, um, despite him being player of the game two weeks in a row, yeah. Um, this week's player of the game, and, and you don't have to agree with me, but I'm gonna go with this one. Um, Rayshon Harrison. Yeah, he had 16 points. Nine rebounds, two assists, almost got that double double, and uh, I mean, aside from just a really good output, um, starting slow and and able to get back into the get back into the groove of the game, um, he hit that sweet shot we talked about at the end of the game where, where he had the offensive rebound and then and then the and one falling backwards. It's pretty. Harrison sweet. is so electric. Yeah, he really is. He he's uh, he, he is just so solid of a basketball player. He he like. McLaughlin is very fundamental and he doesn't have to be, you know, he doesn't have to have such a deep bag to get it done. Yeah. He's just, he's, he's very solid. Yeah. Um, so we have our player of the game. Let's, uh, let's move into play of the plays of the game. We're kind of moving sure. through this game pretty quick. It was, it was, it was an entertaining game to watch despite the fact that we were missing some, some pretty, I also feel like we have more to say when they're playing badly. Yeah, you know, one hundred percent. Like, I, like I, I was played, pretty pleased with the game. Yeah, we played really well. This is one of the first times all year where we, I think, did better than I expected us to do. We're like, we did better than expected. We we covered pretty handily. We played really well. Um, 
Oh, did you see, by the way, completely unrelated, did you see that I went 6-0 and on wax spreads on Thursday? Way to go, man. Undefeated against <laughs> the spread. 6-0. and Start taking your betting wax advice, play. man. Dude, I'm posting them every single one. I'm posting <laughs> I... every single one on my... Uh, follow me on Twitter. I got the Stephen F. Austin versus New Mexico State picks coming out coming out tonight. I'm 9-3 and on the year. If I were a betting man, you'd be my bookie. All right, all right. <laughs> let's, uh, let's do the offensive play of the game first. I think it's the second one I sent you. Elbows. Bauman freed up free. Good! I was just getting ready to say, if Bauman doesn't make this one, he might not be able to stay on the floor. They need this young man coming off of that bench to score the basketball. Seven points now, two for three from behind the arc. About a baseline out of bounds. Ball's on the near side of the basket on the lane line. Lopes are aligned in a uh, box setup. We have Rayshon Harrison inbounding the ball on the far side of the box. We have Walter Ellis. We got Blackshirt at the, at the far side elbow. We have Gabe McLaughlin at the block on the near side. And we have Noah Bauman at the elbow on the near side. Okay. So what you're going to see here is a baseline out of bounds flex. Okay. Blob flex. One of the more uh, popular baseline out of bounds plays in college basketball, but this one's going to have a little bit of a um, twist, or I guess maybe a detour. Okay. Um, so what's going to happen is we have Noah Bauman running to the corner and the lob coming into Gabe McLaughlin, who is backing up to the elbow. Okay. Now what typically happens is the person on the block on the far side is going to pop up and catch the ball. In this case, it's Walter Ellis. He's going to pop up. He's going to catch the ball from uh, a pass from Gabe McLaughlin and down low Rayshon Harrison, who has just inbounded the ball to Gabe McLaughlin while that pass is going over to Ellis. He's going to be setting a flex screen at the block. For Noah Bauman and Bauman actually has an opportunity to go underneath the screen or I guess um, basket side on the screen and possibly catch a pass from Walter Ellis. But what happens is Rayshon Harrison's defender does a really great job of playing help defense there and, and kind of um, cutting off the cut of the screen. Gabe McLaughlin is going down to set a screen for Rayshon Harrison, who's supposed to pop up and catch it and possibly shoot. But Bauman decides, I'm going to be the one who's going to catch and pop. So McLaughlin sets a screen on Bauman's guy. Bauman catches on the wing, steps into it, three-point, knocked down. Lopes take the lead, 39-41. to 41. Yeah, really well executed. I think, I think GCU's baseline out-of-bound plays this season have been kind of a bright spot in a pretty dark offense. Um, they've looked good. There have been some really good baseline out of bounds plays and that's just i mean yeah like you said just perfect execution um cheeky play there by harrison <laughs> to set that inbound screen um what what's funny is like if you're mclaughlin's defender there that's actually the most frustrating thing ever because there's just nothing he can do right yeah. uh you have to cover that um that like baseline cut to the other corner that he's trying to cover but you have uh, you have Harrison right there, and then you have Bauman on the other side of you. But then when he goes up, McLaughlin is there down screening you. So, like, there's nowhere he can go. Um, yeah, just, I mean, like, just really good, really good awareness by by everybody. Um, it was evident that that was the play. I mean, uh, Ellis with the ball at the top of the key was, like, ready for it. Bauman is ready for it. Uh, good screen by McLaughlin. Yeah, really, just great execution. Um, I... I really liked what I saw from, from Bauman tonight. That was one of his three, three pointers. 
Um, he did ideally what we have wanted him to do all year. Uh, he was pretty efficient, three for six from the field, three for four from three, 10 points off the bench. Um, he spent a lot of time playing four, stretching the court, um, and then knocking down threes when he when he got them. So really good. I mean, yeah, if we could get like, seriously, and like this might be a little lofty, but if we could get 10 points off three for four from three every night, that would be like perfect from him. Mm-hmm. I don't expect him to go three for four from three every night because that would be 75%. Um, but I, I really liked, I really liked what I saw from him. I just thought like, you know, um, it's his role on this team is he's a stretch four who can space the floor because you can't leave him open in the corner. And then he'll occasionally get some big rebounds. Um, that becomes less useful when he's not actually dangerous in the corner, right? Like when he's not shooting very well, which kind of has been the case so far this year. Um, but if he's that threat on the corner, it just makes it makes the whole offensive scheme so much easier because they can't sag off of him and it, it allows for more driving. Um, and then it'll also allow is like he'll get his shots. So uh him being him being a knockdown three-point shooter like he like he ought to be and like he was in that game will be really good, I think, for for everyone. Um, we saw that later in the game. I mean, he was he was knocking him down, they had to guard him and uh, McMillan and Harrison got to the rack a lot because his guy couldn't just sit and help side. Yeah. Yeah, no, he he played really solid. I think also, too, like you said, the whole baseline out of bounds thing. A lot of times in college, you're going to see teams just, you know, lob it in and get back into their base offense or or a different kind of set. But uh, it was nice to see GCU kind of make a nice read off of this flex blob. So, all right. So let's take a peek at the defensive play of the game. Okay. So we have 929 left in the first half. Uh, GCU is down 19-13. CBU is advancing the ball down court. They're going to set a uh, weak side ball screen. So we have Blackshire on ball, and he's going to hop over the screen. Does a great job of getting over it. Actually falls down on the ground. Blackshire recovers. Ball is reversed to the opposite side. Now, this is where offenses like to get things cooking is on the ball reversal. We have Josh Baker guarding the guy in the corner. Um, Rayshon Harrison is on the near side wing. Josh Baker does a good job. He co- uh, he, he covers the screen with what we call icing the ball screen. And so he's going to force his guy baseline and just not let him have any opportunity to get or come off the screen. So he forces him baseline. Great job doing that. Rayshon Harrison comes and helps out of the corner. Now we've kind of got these guys in a stagnant little ball screen here. So we have Josh Baker coming over the screen again. And they switch off him and Bauman. Ball is passed back to the wing. Same side. Ball wasn't reversed, which is great. We have a post up down on Josh Baker. This is a little bit of a mismatch. This guy's a little bit bigger than Josh Baker. But... Uh, McLaughlin comes off his guy who's in the opposite corner, double teams the post. He's forced to dribble out, and they're going to try and initiate a dribble handoff here on the near side wing. And it's just a lazy dribble handoff. Ball pops up. Josh Baker is on it, and he's able to get the steal and passes it off to Rayshon Harrison in transition. Oh, that was a really solid play. Um, it, it was just a lot of help defense, and and the Lopes were just really disciplined on that one. Yeah, no, I really, really great. Like you said, discipline. Um, they they made really good. Uh, what I find about the Lopes defense is really good is their decision making. Um, yeah. in that they just like they just know like McLaughlin coming to double Baker's guy because like 
he's being posted up as a guard by a bigger guy, right? Uh, knowing that his guy's back there, it's just, just really good, um, it's really smart, smart play. Um, Baker's really scrappy on defense. Like, he's just he pestering is. people. I really like that. Um, but yeah, like, they just play hard. Um, they play hard defense, but they also play smart defense. And I think that's what makes them so... Uh, so frustrating and, and that's why like other teams have such long possessions because like it's hard you know it's hard to, to do anything um, yeah. when they're playing that tight but also uh, like playing so well well and, and the key thing here was that's the third time you've dropped that thing bro it's like right by my feet so <laughs> I just keep kicking it that's funny um, the actual the, the key things of this event this defensive possession was really good ball screen defense yeah. and really solid help defense. We had both Josh Baker and Javon Blackshire fighting over screens, um, which if you're able to fight over a screen, you basically, basically eliminated it. And then also Josh Baker icing the ball screen, which uh, personally I, I love icing ball screens. It's really awesome when you're on one side of the court and able to do that. Um, yeah. And GCU has the athletic type of guys who can recover on those, those right. uh, ball screen defenses. Yeah. But then also, like you said, the help defense where we had um, where we had McLaughlin coming out of uh, the corner and double teaming and then Rayshon Harrison coming out of the corner on the near side and, and helping. It's just a really solid defensive play and it's awesome to watch. And I think that's one of the things that actually Sam Houston State is so good at defensively is just being scrappy, you know, defending ball screens well, denying passing lanes. That's why they're so fun to watch, and I think that's why um, I'm actually keeping up with this Lopes team because the offense certainly isn't keeping me interested. <laughs> Man, yeah, harsh but fair. Yeah, harsh but fair, right? <laughs> hey, no, we yeah. said we had a lot of glowing reviews about the offense this week. Aside from, the yeah, they looked good. They looked really good. I was really impressed. Yeah, but yeah, that was. I mean, that was just a great. I texted you um, when that play happened. Nine oh nine is when. Uh, is when Baker comes away with the seal and then he passes it in transition. And I said like nine Oh nine in the first half, that's the play. Um, yeah. Just cause like, it was just like, man, it just felt like it felt like the, and, and seriously, uh, it felt like they were so frustrated that that dribble handoff gone wrong. Just looked to me like, just like frustration of like, we can't 100%. get this ball anywhere. They're so annoying. Like, Oh, uh, and then it's like, Oh, and like a slight mistake leads to like, uh, a scrappy play by Baker to grab the ball immediately outlet it. Right. And then they're just off in transition the other way. Um, and that's, I guess that's the other part about GCU is like, if they give you 30 seconds of that on defense and you're really annoyed, you're going to be even more annoyed when they force the steal and then run in transition, which is exactly what we like to do. Yeah. And that's why we say like GCU is a team that thrives on runs because that's how we get those runs. We play really stifling defense. And then that leads to steals, which leads to transitions. Uh, and, and other teams, right? Like just, they can't run with us. Yeah. Um, when games get slow and they get in the half court, that's where we see difficulties uh, on offense. Although I, I don't think as much this game. And I think that's why we, we did so well and won by 14. Yeah. You know, I, I enjoy picking these, these plays of the game um, because it, it would be really easy to just pick, you know, the Instagram one or the, the Twitter one where it's like, like we said, you know, Rayshon Harrison hitting a, an and one while you know falling on his back at the end of the game or like yeah. um isaiah cars uh block off the backboard and then you know go out and transition those were awesome plays and you know those are the ones where when, when you're in gc arena and those happen you're like 
freaking out and everybody's screaming and stuff. That's awesome. But for me, like I, I, I take this with a coaching perspective and seeing like the effort and, and the X's and O's and, yeah. and guys making decisions. That's for me, that's where basketball games are won and lost. Right. And especially for our offense, what we find is, uh, those, those plays in which we execute really well are important because, um, we need those. We need to execute really well. There'll always be, we have guys that are talented, right? Guys like Ray Harrison, guys like Chance McMillan, um, they'll have flashy plays. They'll have a couple times a game where it's like they do some nutso move and get an and one, or they like hit a like pull up three or like just, just, just something crazy. Um, but it's those like really well thought out plays with like good ball movement, um, good off ball screens uh, that, that we're getting a lot better at. And it's really encouraging. Yeah. 100%. You want to head into our upcoming opponents? Yeah. So coming up, we have Sam Houston. Um, Sam Houston's the team that we've kind of been talking about a lot as the, the team that's been the highest ranked whack team all season. They're um, they the darling out, of the conference. They kind the of darling, but, but I think they deserve it. Like, I think they deserve it. They, they came out of this year with two really huge non-conference wins over, uh, who they beat? Oklahoma, Oklahoma and Utah. And Utah yep. yep. So two, two huge wins over at the time, I think top 50 teams in the country. Um, and then they, they also beat New Mexico the, state. They did also beat New Mexico State, which which we'll get into. Um, but they, they had a really good non-conference. Um, they they got into conference play as kind of the top ranked team. A lot of teams, uh, a lot of every pretty much every bracketology that exists has them as the wax team and on the twelve line. Um, so you know that which is uh, for I guess like those of you. I, and this is always uh, someone asked this of like why are they a twelve seed and not an eleven seed? Like why are because generally speaking, the way it works is. 11 seed and up are your at-large teams. So, so think about it this way. Uh, there's six 16 seeds. because so you have the, the play-in, right? And then four of 15, uh, 14, 13, and 12, right? So that's 22 teams, right, that are between 12 and, and 16 seed. How many conferences are there in Division One? 31? I have no idea. Okay. So there's 31 conferences. Ken Palmer, figure it out. There's, I think it's 31. There's 31 conferences, 32 conferences. There's 32 conferences. 32. Well, if you include independence. I don't because they don't have a, they don't send a buy. So 22 (laughs) conferences with 10 conference, with uh, with 22 teams, right? So what what that gives is 22 of the 32 conferences will only get one team. And those teams, usually those teams make up the 12 through 16 seeds. And then 11 and higher uh, are the multi-bid leagues, right? Because usually what happens is 11 seeds are your lowest at-large teams, right? Your last four in, if you will. Um, And the 12 seed are the best of teams that got the auto qualifier. But there's a really big gap usually between 12 seed AQs and 11 seed at-larges. But that's also why we see the most like the most common upset in March Madness is the 12-5 because a lot of those 12 seeds are teams that are better than their ranking but don't play a good strength of schedule so they're underrated. Yeah. Um so that's why I think like they're they're destined Sam Houston if they are the ones who go they're destined to be a 12 seed. I don't see them being higher than a 12 seed because that would mean they're in the at large conversation and that's not going to happen. Um unfortunately as much as I love two bid whack I don't think this is the year. <laughs> um 
But yeah, they're really good. Um, they did start conference play, actually, like we mentioned earlier, with a with a pretty bad loss in Utah Valley. They lost by 16. Now, Utah Valley is a really good team. Um, they're, they're the team that right now is second in, in conference, both in net ranking and the winners and kind of like generally in the consensus in the, in the hearts and souls of men. Uh, at the time, they had a six-game winning streak going into that game. Two of those wins were BYU on the road and Oregon on the road. So, like, this is a good team. Um, and they beat Sam Houston by 16. Um, so I don't know if I'm really discouraged by that and that I don't think I think any less of Sam Houston. In fact, Sam Houston went on to win in New Mexico State after that which we'll talk about later because New Mexico State's kind of a disaster. And after the lost Utah Valley in the win against New Mexico State, they're actually higher ranked than they were before they lost Utah Valley. They jumped from 82 to 77. So yeah. they're really good. Um, I don't think the loss against Utah Valley like makes me think any less of them. I, I still think they're just as good and dangerous as they were. Um, I watched their loss to Nevada earlier in the year. I watched their loss to Utah Valley on Thursday. Um, and the, the deal is this team just plays really hard and they play really scrappy, but I think we saw in that Utah Valley game, exactly what I feared in the Nevada game, which is whack refs. This is not a power conference. This is not an invitational. Uh, the game is called more tightly. Players are not able to get away with the level of physicality that you might, uh, playing at a PAC 12 school or, or a big, big 10, big 12 school. Uh, and what that means is Sam Houston's just going to be in foul trouble forever. So that'll be something I guess to keep an eye on is they play really physical. If the refs let them play really physical, it can be really bad for the Lopes. If the refs uh, have a tight hand on the game, GCU will be shooting a lot of free throws. Now, GCU kind of sucks at free throws. Much, yeah. yeah. So, so I guess that's my, when I think about this game, it very well could come down to the Lopes are going to shoot 30 free throws. Are we going to shoot a high enough percentage on those 30 free throws for it to make an impact? I hope so. <laughs> well, we're currently sitting at 70.5% free throws. So 203rd in the nation, I think. A couple things about Sam Houston State. You said that they were 77th in Ken Palm. They are 42nd in the nation on adjusted defensive efficiency. That's really high. Hey, get this. They're number seven in turnover percentage per possession on uh, enforcing turnovers. Yeah. Enforcing yeah. turnovers. Yeah. Seven. That does not surprise it's me. Really high. Okay. Mm -hmm. They offensively, they are number 12 in the nation in three point percentage. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. I actually was watching their game between them and New Mexico state on, on demand. And like I saw, I, I watched a whole entire offensive possession where they dribbled the ball at the top of the key, just one guy for like 12 seconds. And then he just shot and drilled it from like 35. I couldn't believe yeah. it. I was like, yeah. this is ridiculous. Hey, they're also 317th in the nation in two point percentage on offense. So basically they're only really adept at three pointers and they kind of struggle from two point. I just yeah. shouldn't say they kind of struggle. They really struggle from two point. They are 25th in net, which is a joke. I'm sorry. The yeah. net rankings are just, uh, they're, they're as point, bad as Wimmers. At one point, they were number seven in the country. I'm sorry. A joke. Yeah. You can't. Hey, anybody who references the net, I'm sorry. Please stop. I cannot take you seriously if you're referencing that. <laughs> that's I, that's pretty harsh, but I just I can't. Um, like you said, they have solid wins in the non-conference. That um that win at New Mexico State. Now, 
Granted, so, uh, Southern Utah did kind of steal their thunder. That was that Southern Utah win at New Mexico State was the third conference win at New Mexico State for a non like like a visiting team. Yeah, and then Utah Valley by, made it four. Or yeah, Sam Houston made it four. Yeah, or sorry, Sam, Sam Houston made it four, not Utah. Yeah, Valley. yeah, that's what's crazy. New Mexico State prior to the season had lost two home games, two home conference games ever. Yeah. And have now started the conference in their first two games with two home conference losses. Crazy. Um, Doubling it up like that. Yeah. There and uh we'll get we'll get into New Mexico State in a little bit, yeah. but man, that team they look not good. They look not good at all. They're struggling. They're struggling. I went through I actually defended them on Twitter to Wack Hoops Digest about how the Wimmers is underrating them, they're ranked too low. And then they went out and lost at home to Southern Utah. And I thought this is what I get for hey, trying to don't, defend. Don't forget that Southern Utah is an offensive powerhouse, man. They're sitting out here beating Division Three teams 126 to 40, and it's just bolstering their points per game. <laughs> yeah. Um, last thing on Sam Houston State, you mentioned how they're really scrappy. They play really hard. They're incredibly active on defense, like exceptionally active on defense, and they're really solid in pass denial. And that's where um, they, I didn't write it down. Actually. I wish I had, they are really high in turnover percentage defensively as well. Or, no, I already said that. Yeah. They're seventh yeah. in the nation in yeah. turnover percentage defensively. And they, uh, Ken Palm also has a metric for non steel turnovers. This is steel turnovers. They are seventh in the nation in live yeah. ball turnovers. <clears throat> that's yeah. That's just a testament to how good they are at, pa- uh, denying passing lanes and getting a hand in the gaps it's it this uh this new mexico state game that i was watching on demand that was the first game that i've actually been able to watch of them and i'm i'm totally on the hype train this team is fun to watch yeah they're a team that like if i wasn't a lopes fan i'd want to cheer for this team and honestly they deserve all of the all of the hype they've been getting Mm -hmm. i completely agree they're they're that team like they're just so good um i got yeah i got to watch their game against oklahoma who at the time oklahoma was number 29 in the country at the time of this game they're actually oh wait no they're number 29 right now or both sorry can you repeat that my bad oklahoma's number 29 in the country right now um sam houston state beat them in oklahoma in the first game of the season um And they just looked really good. They went on to beat Utah by 10 in Utah as number 40 in the country. Um, and if you if you guys have been listening, if you recall four or five weeks ago when they lost to Nevada, I said a similar thing, which is they're a better team than Nevada. They lost because the refs were shaking they can't in their boots. Play. Yeah, they, they just can't play the style of basketball that they want to play. And it is odd for a mid-major team like Sam Houston to play the style of basketball. They're a team, seriously, if they win the WAC and they're a 12 seed, and they play a finesse five seed, they're going to give them nightmares. Like it's going to be really bad. Uh, they're right now on the last bracketology from uh, ESPN, which is who's the ESPN bracketologist. Is that Andy Katz? No, no, Joe Lenardi. Yeah. Joe Lenardi. Uh, they were supposed to play Ohio state would be their five seed. And like, that's a, like, that's a game that I kind of like for Sam Houston. So I don't know. They're like, they're really dangerous. Now, of course, like, they did just lose to Utah Valley by 16. Utah Valley looks really good, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. And GCU looks pretty good in that last game. This is definitely a game that GCU can win. Um, early early spreads have Sam Houston as a six-point favorite at home. That's that's probably right. 
Um, GCU, I think, by ESPN was given like a 13% chance to win the game. It's doable. It's doable. It's a game that I we could win. Uh, I do, and I hate to say this because I, I don't like, I don't mean for this to sound like an excuse, but I do think a lot of it will be dictated by the refs uh, in the sense that to what level of physicality will the teams be allowed to play? And I think the more physical the game is allowed to be, the more of a benefit that will be for Sam Houston, because like we said, they rely on just turnovers. And the way they get turnovers is by bullying you. And if the refs are calling it really tight, it'll be like the Nevada game where Nevada GCU is going to just shoot 40 free throws. So uh, uh, that's, that's, I guess, something to keep an eye on and, and not to say, right. Like I really don't want to come back afterwards and say, one way or the other, GC won or lost because the refs did this or that. But but given just the way they play, I, I do think that that is a factor. I'm taking Sam Houston State nine out of ten times on this. Like in this game? Yeah. And I'm curious, actually, from what your perspective is, what do you think the uh, the over-under will be for the for the points? Don't go looking um, it up now. No, I was looking. I was looking at the scoreline of the Nevada game. What's surprising about Sam Houston is they score a lot of points. Like they're not West Virginia, you know. Yeah. Um, but keep in mind, the Lopes are really solid defensively too. The Lopes are really solid defensively, and the Lopes take a lot of time on offensive possessions, which mm-hmm. is why I'm inclined to think it might be a lower scoring game. Like I wouldn't be too surprised. the The projection here is 65 to 59. Whoa. I wouldn't be surprised to see it lower than that. Yeah, I would. I would set my my over underline at 110. Okay, so 65 and 59. Is this 114? Is it? 60. My bad at math. Yeah, you are because 55 no. and 55 is 110. 124. It's 124. Okay, yeah. No, I got 110. What do you think? Over under? I think over 110. Okay. I think over 110, but I think under 124. Hey, you set a line. 110? Uh, Dude, I could see this game being like 49 to 52. 118. Okay. That's fair. 118 over under. Not too uh, yeah, I don't know. I think I think under 124. Um we'll yeah. just have to see though. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So let's, uh, let's um, move on to Stephen F. Austin. Unless you got yeah, any of Stephen else. F. Austin. I, I have them on here. Uh they're they're looking kind of nice. They actually are our lone Wednesday game. Uh I, I really I actually kind of like normally all the whack games are Thursday, Saturday. I like having one game on Wednesday because Wait, I feel we have like Stephen F. Austin uh, on Wednesday. No, 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 but tomorrow Stephen F. Austin plays New Mexico State. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. Um, I was gonna say, which, like, which, do we even need to talk the about these guys? Game? No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I think we play Sam Houston Thursday or and then yeah, and then uh, Stephen, F. Stephen F. Austin Saturday. Saturday. But Stephen F. Austin has New Mexico State tomorrow uh, at home, um, and and I like that. I like that they're doing these Wednesday games and then only having one. It's like oh, you know, the primetime Wednesday game because then uh, there's just one game. So I will I will likely watch watch that as the only whack game on, which is really cool. Um, man, if you told me two weeks ago, I would say New Mexico State has a pretty good shot to win this game, but New Mexico State looked really bad in that homestand, and now they're going on the road. Uh, against a Stephen F. Austin team who's won four in a row, and their last loss was that barn burner by one to Furman, who's like uh, really very sorry. much gonna like very much the favorite out of the SoCon. Um, Furman is a really good team, uh, and so like this this Stephen F. Austin team looks good. They've got I think they've looked gradually better as the season has gone along. Uh, they're actually one point favorites at home against New Mexico State. 
it's kind of it's it's hard. It's hard. I think Stephen F. Austin's playing really good basketball, and I think New Mexico State is not playing very good basketball. Um, with that being said, uh, New Mexico is ranked pretty significantly higher than Sam Houston, uh, according to Ken Palm, but not according to Wimmers. Um, so that's, I guess, something to keep. Hey, Wimmers is on, on the same level of joking as Net is. So I saw somewhere that said that. Uh, oh, it was the GCU broadcast that said the Wimmers, the the whack, uh, got together with Ken Palm, and it was Ken Palm that came up with the Wimmers. I don't think but, so. But I think that the Wimmers, the the out like this ranking looks more similar to the Net rankings and not similar from Ken Palm. In fact, later on when we get to like the whack action, um, whackion. Uh, we'll look at the differences between Ken Palm and Wimmers. And even now it's still pretty significant. And I know we keep saying like, Oh, just wait until like, wait until they play each other. Okay. I'm going to keep waiting. Uh, there's still some pretty significant differences of some teams are ranked significantly different in the Wimmers than they are in Ken Palm. But that's beside the point. Um, I think Stephen of Austin for the Lopes, um, I have a really hard time predicting the lopes on the road um they are Stephen f austin is one point favorites in that game both against us and against new mexico state at home um i will definitely be watching tomorrow so maybe i'll have an i'll have a better understanding uh the last game i got to watch these guys play was that the overtime win against louisiana tech in which they only played seven players um and then the Furman two two point loss, which was like a pretty good game. These guys, they're just good. They're really good. Um, they're playing well right now. They're playing good basketball. Uh, I'm I'm really interested to see how they do. They're they're two and zero. Uh, they they won a home game against Abilene Christian, who's not great. Um, and then they won on the road at UT Arlington, who's also not great, but you know, a road win is a road win. So two and zero in conference play against kind of inferior opponents. Um, I like the Lopes to win this one, but not with any sort of great confidence, just given that I think the Lopes can lose to any team in the whack on the road. That's sure. just the way it is. Uh, yeah. but I, I like the Lopes to win. I wouldn't be too shocked if they lost is, is kind of how I feel about it. Sure. Stephen F. Austin is actually a hilarious team. <laughs> Why? Okay. So 166 in Ken Palm, right? Yeah. They're th- um, this is the only standalone, um, uh, I guess, statistic that I think is pretty basic. But they are 15th in the nation in three-point percentage, which is what <laughs> we saw. So, so yeah. we, have, we have literally number 12 in the nation in three-point percentage, and then two days later, we have 15. So... That's great. We get to play That's the fun. five, five, the, the, like we get to play the Bauman at the four McLaughlin at the five lineup. Right. Okay. So this is where oh, it gets no. funny. Okay. They are 36th in the nation in offensive rebounding percentage offensively. So 36th in the nation, offensive rebound percentage offensively. Yeah. yeah. 325th in the nation in offensive rebound percentage defensively. So they wow. get a lot That's of offensive really rebounds and they give up a lot of offensive rebounds. Okay. They're 52nd in the nation in steal percentage defensively. So pretty decent. Okay. Here's another funny one. They are 361st in the nation in non-steal turnovers offensively. So they give up a they're literally the bottom of the barrel. They're one of the worst teams in the nation when it comes to turning the ball over on non-steal turnovers. Like just dead ball yeah. throwing the ball out of bounds or whatever. And then they are fifth in the nation in non-steal turnovers defensively. So somehow they're able to force 
non-steal turnovers at a very high rate, which is this, it, these are very back and forth, like offensive and defensive kind of things. Now they don't look too bad defensively overall in adjusted metrics. Um, let's see. So they are 198th, which isn't good, but I mean, we're not looking at 361st in the nation or 325th in the nation, but they, like I said, offensive rebounding um, on defense, they give them up all the time. Okay. Non-steal yeah. turnovers. They uh, are, are on offense. They're throwing the ball out of bounds a lot, at least yeah. evidently. So I just think that's really funny. Um, another solid win that they had, actually, they, they had a neutral court win against Greensboro, who is 139 in Ken Palm. But aside from that, yeah. really, their only um, notable game, I would say, is that that close loss at Furman that you were referring to. So I um yeah I don't know. Yeah. I think I think the Lopes I mean obviously of the two this is the more winnable one in my opinion, but I could certainly see this one going Stephen F. Austin's way and I don't know. I don't it'd know, be really heart... hard. It'd be really hard It'd be really hard to lose both games of this road trip, but I, I can see it happening. I hope it doesn't. So they they um, lost both games last year. Actually, they lost two. So it was actually flip flop. So last year they played Stephen F. Austin first, and then Sam Houston State second. They lost to Stephen F. Austin by like forty points. Mm-hmm. It was an absolute Stephen F. Austin. Blowout. Stephen F. Austin, I think, was better last year, though. I, I think so too. Um, but year. Sam Houston State, we lost to by a possession or two. Um, <clears throat> who was not nearly as good as they are this year? No, not at all. Yeah. Um, here's the thing, though. <clears throat> My my heart says Lopes win this one. I think we can win this one. Yeah. Obviously, we can win this one. But um, my heart says Lopes. My mind says I do not absolutely know it all. <laughs> like it's, it's a toss up. Yeah, that's it's a toss up, and I think all the metrics reflect that. It's a one point game. Uh, yeah, this game's a toss up. So, you know, what are we gonna? Are we if it's uh, are we going to get the Lopes that we saw against Wyoming, right? Who showed up on the road and looked really good. Or are we going to get the Lopes, uh, the Lopes that showed up in Nevada where we do what we always do on the road, which is we look kind of good for a while and then end up letting it run away and we get beat by double digits. Hey, speaking of Wyoming really quick, um, they're not very good, but they looked really solid against New Mexico, who is still undefeated. They almost beat the undefeated team in the country. Yeah, they're the only undefeated team in the country. So Uh, Wyoming, I'm I'm curious to see because they were missing one of their main guys. I'm curious to see how they fare with a full roster. Yeah. This is just like the, the, the West coast conference is just hard. Like they scheduled a hard schedule. Yeah. Are you talking West coast or the mountain West? Oh, mountain West. Sorry. Mountain West. Yeah. I mean, okay. New Mexico, uh, they lost by one Fresno state on the road. They lost by five Fresno state's an okay team. Uh, St. Mary's. Then they played St. Mary's before that on a neutral court, lost by 12 Dayton on a neutral court. Really good. Lost by 17. I mean, like, they're they're you know, and then they played Louisiana Tech, who's like not they're okay, and they beat them by twenty seven. So yeah. you're only saying bad. you're you're only they're saying bad. Louisiana Tech is okay because because uh, Stephen F. Austin beat them by one. You Stephen F. Austin wanna... also lost to Alcorn State. That's true by nine. That's true. Yeah. Um, GCU yeah, I was actually just saying, lost to I was just State saying they're right okay because they're in the uh, they're in the CUSA, yeah. which is getting a full rework next year. The Conference USA is going nuts. So do you uh, did I 
did I I went down the full rabbit hole of conference realignment next year because yeah. I was like trying to figure out um because conference USA has like a million teams in it. They have they have uh a million teams and three of them are going to the tournament. Well, they have eleven teams this year and they're getting five new teams next year. And so I was like, how are we having a 16 team conference USA? And then I saw something. It's like, we're having a 10 team conference USA next year. <laughs> and I was like, well, what? where is everybody going? Um, and so like, there's, there's just a mass exodus of uh, the rabbit hole. Of like, Oh, a lot of them are going uh, to the I big 12. To... Oh no. I think a lot of them are going to the mountain West. Oh, shoot. And I was like, well, the mountain West has a lot of teams, but a lot of, so a lot of mountain West teams are going dude to the the pack 12 no i don't think anyone's going to the pack 12 <laughs> um uh it's the the big 12 yeah 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 uh, okay the oh my gosh dude three three mountain west teams i think are going to the big 12 along with byu um and houston the byu is houston going to the oh, big 12 maybe i'm thinking of the american yeah sorry hold on all right Bunch of conference USA teams are going to the American, and a bunch, bunch of American yeah. teams are going. A bunch to of American teams are going 12. to the Big Twelve. A bunch of conference USA teams are going to the American. So there's going to be five teams sticking around in the American. Notably, it's teams that are not very good right now. So the good teams are going like UAB. Um, who are the good teams? UAB, FIU, um, North Texas, North Texas, the one we played. Yeah, those are the three good teams. I think they're all going. Um, but it's going to be New Mexico State. Um, Who's the other team going with them? Who's the other whack team? Sam Houston State and and New, uh, New Mexico State. Sam Houston State, New Mexico State. They're also being joined by some uh, a Sun teams, Liberty, um, Kennesaw State, and one other team from that conference, creating this like brand new CUSA. Hey, random question: Do we know what happened to Lamar? Um, they're trans. I I heard. I think they're transitioning to D two. Are you serious? I don't know. I'm gonna rip I those thought it guys. Was, I'm sorry. What conference are they in? Are they in the they, Conference USA? I don't know, but they were in the WAC last year for one year and didn't fare very well at all. <clears throat> okay. The American is adding Charlotte, FAU, North Texas, Rice, UAB, and UTSA. So they're adding those six teams from the Conference USA. Um, Hey, so Lamar is in the Southland Conference. Okay, they are three sixty one in Ken Palm. Yeah, they're they're really bad, very bad. Um, the Atlantic Sun, uh, Jacksonville, Jacksonville State, Liberty, and Kennesaw State are going to the Conference USA. Um, and then BYU is also leaving the mountain, uh, leaving the West Coast Conference for the for the Big Twelve. Yeah, so it's kind of crazy. So Big 12, um, yeah, big this is Big 12's making moves. They're adding Cincinnati, Houston, Central Florida, and BYU. It's um, kind of sad that the basketball uh, Big 12 is getting shafted because of football. Football. Especially think, when Oklahoma okay, and Texas are terrible at football. This is an upgrade for the basketball conference. You're losing Texas. And Oklahoma, you're getting Houston. True. But who's to say that Houston's got like always going to be 
it's more likely for that to happen now that that's they have true because Kel- kelvin Sa- kelvin sampson if he sticks around they're, they're an elite team as a mid-major imagine what they can be with power five funding right plus sure. cincinnati ucf and and byu are all like traditionally pretty good programs maybe not ucf true. so much but like cincinnati and byu have been known to pretty regularly be at-large teams i think yeah. all four of those teams now that they're in power conferences could be regular at-large contenders um, obviously Oklahoma and Texas are that, but I don't think either of those teams are ever like really scary. They're good. Yeah. Um, but I don't think they're like, no one's ever like, I don't know that Texas or Oklahoma are ever title contenders. Like realistically. Well, they could have been this um, year. Texas could have been, but yeah, well, you know, things happen. Coach hey, so before we get, since we've kind of gone on this uh, rabbit trail a little bit, um, sure I want to, address the thing that i sent you on twitter today regarding um ncaa tournament expansion dude yeah and then we can get into around the whack if you have anything for that but yeah no so so this is this came up today um this was a let's see here a committee's formal rec uh, sorry ncaa transformation committee's formal recommendation to move all ncaa tournaments to a 25 percent inclusion rate um so I will read some of this, okay? <clears throat> Enhancing the Division I championship experience for student-athletes. Celebrating what brings student-athletes, schools, and fans together, okay? NCAA tournaments are where dreams are fulfilled. Lifelong memories are made and communities come together and share a love for the game. Seeking student, uh, sorry, Seeing student-athletes both in victory and defeat, competing with passion and uh, conviction, wins our hearts long after the clock hits zero. Simply put, championships represent the very best of college athletics. This deserves to be felt at every juncture. Transformation Committee members evaluated differences that exist across sports to find ways to improve equity and bring those experiences closer together. We recognize that the, that championships are the pinnacle of a student-athlete's Division I experience and sought to grant greater access to championships for well-qualified teams while honoring the existing, existing structure for entry. For travel to championships, our goal was to create new elevated recommendations so teams and student-athletes would have a comparable experience when traveling, regardless of sport or gender. Below, you'll see recommendations we've made to create uh, broader, fairer, and more consistent access to championship tournaments. You'll see heightened standards for travel to and from championships, and you'll see aggressive measures to create more consistent experiences. We also believe it's important that as a part of transformation, the NCAA gives Uh, give critical and creative thought to enhancing the financial value of championship tournaments, particularly women's basketball and other sports. While not all sports share the same level of relative popularity, I can attest that every national championship uh, chase is thrilling and worth spotlighting. As the NCAA embarks on establishing, establishing a slew of new programs to enhance student-athletes' experiences, finding ways to increase fan following of various NCAA tournaments while generating new sources of media and sponsorship, sponsorship revenue will be an immediate and long-term priority. So I'll just skip ahead to the part where it starts adding or, or addressing the recommendations. So first... Accommodate access for 25% of active Division I members in good standing in team sports sponsored by more than 200 schools. So I think that would eliminate football from that. 
Could you imagine twenty five percent of Division One football teams making a playoff? They would die. Like <laughs> they would die. They'd, they'd be playing like twenty five games a year. This is not no. <laughs> Anyways, um, the next one: compose all Division One championships in a manner that reflects the highest level of bracket composition and quality of competition, including seeding at least fifty percent of teams. Um, the next one, travel to Division One and National Collegiate Championships directly affect the student-athlete's experience. As such, the focal point of championship travel policies must shift to prioritize the elevated travel experience for participants. Evaluate each sport for potential growth in visibility, digital engagement, and revenue generation, including additional sport-specific sponsorship and partnership opportunities to further modernize, elevate, and in some cases finance the enhanced Division I championship experience. Refine the Division I revenue redistribution program to reflect contemporary Division I values and account for athletic performance in more sports than men's basketball. When, re, uh, when redesigning the program, consider gender equality, implementation timeline, and commitment to broad-based sports sponsorship. And finally, increase the championship budget to accommodate recommendations to expand championship access. Um, ensure the highest level of bracket composition and elevate the travel experience for student-athletes. Right. So two things I'm noticing here is um, gender equality. They're wanting um, reasonable... Um, finance for the women's tournaments sorry then, is is this something that is actually happening or is this just like some like it was it was it, it's a recom it's a recommendation like it's it's being presented to a committee okay yeah it's um yeah it's just so, a recommendation so yeah go ahead so i'm just I'm, I'm noticing the the gender equality parts of it and then also the main part that I really want to talk about is the 25% of division one teams making it to championships. And so what that would put us at for division one basketball currently with, with how many division one teams we have is 91 total teams making the tournament. Yep. Now that makes absolutely no sense, especially considering the fact that they um, had mentioned in, in that proposal or in that recommendation, the, development or the formatting of like the best kind of brackets you would just do 96 yeah and, and so 36, 32 a buy and then 64 teams play in a play in basically around one yeah yeah as you mentioned earlier um, today when that's I the best way to do it but yeah. i think there's a better solution okay someone actually in the comments i i was i was reading through this article because i was really intrigued when you sent it to me somebody said this uh right now we have 68 teams making the ncaa tournament okay if you multiply that by four, you get 272. Can we just cut division one to 272 teams? <laughs> Which like sounds kind of ridiculous. You think like, well, you're going to cut nearly a hundred programs, but then it's like, how many pro seriously, how many programs like are horrible? How many conferences are horrible? Right? Like, I guess it's hard. It's hard because, because you, you can't, make decisions like that based just on a sport, right? Like it's easy to say like, yeah, no SWAC or MEAC team will ever be actually good. Just send him to D2, right? But then for like a number of other reasons, that wouldn't make sense. Um, and then we just, it feels like we just constantly have more and more teams joining, right? Like where does it stop? How many teams are we going to let be in division one? And I think that's a problem is like, we just too many teams in division one. There are too many teams 
with a there are too many Division One basketball teams. So, if we were to cut it down to two hundred seventy-two, the games that GCU would no longer have this season: Idaho State, UT Arlington, <laughs> um, Alcorn State. Um, not to mention St. Peter's is it in the two hundred nineties? Yeah, that, that team made right. it to the Elite right. Eight last year. GCU would be they would be a mid, they'd be a mid team, right? Yeah, they, they very mid. GCU is GCU like a lot of other teams are picking. They have a good record because they're beating up a lot of bad teams, right? And there's yeah. teams that are traditionally bad that just are buy game teams, you know, like they're just getting money playing a bunch of teams like GCU and then like power conferences. Um, I think that I think that this. I just think it's hard. I think it's hard. Um, one thing I'll say is this, a, a counterpoint, which I think should be made. College basketball has something. Uh, college sports, uh, outside of football, obviously football kind of has its own thing, just given the nature of it's not a sport you can do a real tournament setting, right? Like you can't do a 64 team college football tournament. Players will die. Like that's yeah, too because, much. Because, the season because would Georgia take, would literally destroy. The season would take seven months. <laughs> and it would just be miserable. It'd be so miserable. True. One true. game a week, seven rounds. You're adding, you're adding seven weeks to the season, right? Like, no. It's not the, that would be more games than the NFL plays. But what I will say that the college sports offer, and I think this is true in every sport uh, or every major sport, every sport that I've followed at least, um, every single team in Division One, with the exception of football, like we said, has the ability at the end of the regular season to win the national championship. Yeah, because every single team, with the exception of the Ivy League, which they do their own thing, goes to a conference tournament where they have the option to win said conference tournament and be an automatic qualifier to compete for an NCAA tournament. That is an opportunity for every single team, with the very small exception of the Ivy League, who only takes four teams to their conference tournament. Yeah, I think that that's the best we can do, given the circumstance. I think that that is the answer, which is you have almost 100% of teams eligible to play for a championship. Yeah, I don't think we need to expand the tournament. And and here's the thing, too, is I think it really um, (laughs) mitigates the importance of conference championships. Those are huge. Do you remember when Oregon State won the Pac-12 championship? Oh, my gosh. They had no business doing that. So awesome. Then they went and did it. And then they extended Wayne Tinkle, which I love the guy because he used to coach at University of Montana. But they are literally the worst team in in Power 5 conference (laughs) right now, aside from Louisville and maybe Cal. (laughs) Yeah. But he has yeah, a contract extension because, for absolutely no reason whatsoever, Oregon State decided they were yeah, we're going to go year. win. And yeah, they were they were bad. They were terrible that year. But they, then they went turned and, it on, and they and then they made a they deep won run tournament games, the, right? Yeah, they yeah, went deep. Yes. They went to the the elite eight. Okay, but it, but you could have just if Oregon State would have not gone to the elite eight, if they had won the Pac twelve championship and then lost in the first round, that would have been an incredibly successful season. Those kids went and they competed and they won a championship. Here's what I think you do. Okay. If you expand, and I'm just toying with this, knowing it'll never happen. This is what I think will be really fun. Okay. Knowing full well that like, this is really dumb. The top, the 32 conference winners get a first round buy into the round of 64. <laughs> into the round of 64 into the round of 64 and then what you have is the best 64 at-large teams in the country playing of playing a first round tournament game just to duke it out so they can go and yes. play like freaking norfolk state <laughs> who got a buy yeah and then what you do i think what you do 
is like you'd have to reseed, right? So like sure, sure. But but that should I, I also one of the things I don't like about the current format, people have said this, which is like I don't like the nature of the 16 seed play-in game. I I sure. I don't know how I feel about because you know, the argument is made is like you these, even though like granted relative to college basketball, like they're not very good teams. Sure. These are teams who have won their conference tournaments and they should yes. be in the bracket play. They should and be I, in the field of 64. Yeah, they should. They shouldn't have to go play on a Tuesday in Dayton. Let them in. I agree. Right? I agree. Just like that's a really they've already good point, earned their spot. They've earned their spot by winning three, four five games in their conference championship tournament. Uh, so I think that would be an upside there. I don't know how to, um, I don't know. I don't think the tournament needs to expand. I think 68 teams is plenty. I don't know that I like the 16 seed play in. I also hey, think every 11 does. seed should be a plan. Yeah. Let, let those bubble teams figure it out. Don't just throw a bubble team in there and make well, a 16 team. Wow. A 16 seed team who earned it by winning a conference championship, make a playing game. If you have two less 16 seeds, what that probably will mean is that you'll have mid-major 11 seeds instead of 12 seeds, which is fine, right? It doesn't matter. But like those top mid-major teams will be 11 seeds. Um, But I I don't know. Like I kind of like the way the format is now. Um, A thing that that would be fun is like, there's there's too many games, man. Like it's too many games for college sports. Nah, dude. To expand. No, no, no. The the March Madness is incredible. To to add more? Like, dude, it's just too many games. Um, look at what other sports like. Okay, I I actually well you I opened Twitter to see the thing you saw, and the first thing that popped up for me was a tweet by you, um, from a cup from earlier today, uh, about high school sports in Arizona and the solution <laughs> for small sports, which is we should just do promotion relegation. And here's the deal: I've been saying that just forever with high school sports that like just move teams up and down divisions by on a sport by sport basis defending on performance base like that's so obvious what are we doing you know yes yes. um like i just i just think it's the solution so like from a competitive standpoint it's by far the best option yeah there's like logistical difficulties which is like what if your boys and girls basketball teams are in different divisions right like i get it i get it but then like from a level of competition teams that are continually dominating should go up and teams that can't hang should go down and eventually it'll even out and there'll still be like, oh, this team's just particularly good this year, and then they won't. Okay, well, then they'll win a state championship, and then they'll move up, and then they'll be bad, and then they'll, if they're really bad, they'll move back down, right? And that's the way it should be. Um, Phoenix Christian football got got just got away with murder for years in two A, just absolutely dominating the field. Phoenix Christian baseball gets away with absolute murder for years. They were the one seed in state three years in a row, four years in a row, and they won two state tournaments. Ridiculous. A team should not be the number one overall seed four years in a row in two A. Move them up. Phoenix Country <laughs> Day's boys tennis team hasn't lost a single match since 2019. Move them <laughs> up but like this is ridiculous i think uh i think it's catastrophe and i think that like this is the this is the deal that i i would like to see in division one which is um we just need we need there to be less teams that are just that are just 
by game teams. And I, I do think that like we talked about earlier, that's the nature of the probationary period, right? They want sure. to avoid that. And that's why teams have to endure a kind of miserable probation. But, um, but I just, I, I don't know, man. I think that promotion relegation is sick. Um, I think it would make high school sports better. Um, I don't, uh, the thing that I think could be interesting, and I don't know how logistically you would do this. And like, this is a pretty drastic change, but imagine if call it, if division one college basketball had some sort of FBS FCS system. Hmm. But like the thing, then the, imagine... thing with, the thing with FBS and FCS is while it's both division one in college football, it is basically lowering yourself to a different division because of scholarships and yeah. funding. So you're getting less scholarships as an FCS school um, comparatively to an FBS school who's getting more scholarships. And I don't know if they're allowed to split their scholarship. And anyways, it's all logistics and stuff. A, a similar but, argument would be like, um, yeah, but I guess the, the idea is like, it's hard to, because like, conferences have the power right like teams are attached to their conferences yes that's... but like imagine if you had a promotion relegation system where like the bad fbs teams go down and the good fcs teams go up then it would be like it would just be constant conference realignment but that's already happening anyways i mean you could make the argument of like uh european soccer is a really good like they do promotion relegation really well you can say like a premier league team gets relegated to champions league and then what they're they they now because of uh, lower levels of, of marketing, of media, of watching right there. They, they're not making as much money, right? But then um, what happens is like, if they promote back, then like they'll, they'll have that again. So I guess like that'd be the same thing, right? It's like, yeah, obviously if you go down a level, you won't have as many resources, which is like kind of still true of, of like European soccer. Uh, the idea is you're also playing a much lower level of competition. Yeah. Um, well, and Zach also, here's here's where I'm seeing a, a difficulty with it, especially with transfer rules the way they are right now. Could you imagine your team gets relegated to Division Two? Everybody's leaving. Everybody says bye. And it's not like where in, in, in like European soccer where those guys are under contract. contract. Exactly. Yeah. These guys, these kids, especially nowadays, they can just up and leave whenever. They can up and leave in the middle of the season. Yeah, the transfer portal's just gotten. I mean, no, like the transfer portal is so crazy that in college football and college basketball, we actually have free agency. Yeah, it's crazy. Like it's so nuts. And now with like nil, like money, things are just getting really wild. Um, <clears throat> I don't like. Yeah, I like the NCAA tournament as it is. I don't really like the way that college sports are going. I don't like, I, I like NIL. I think it's good. I think players ought to be able to make money on their name, image, and likeness. I don't like NIL being used as a tool on the transfer market. That's what I don't like. Well, I think the thing is like, I mean, I, I don't know that these kids should be making as much money as they're making. Uh, I there are there are a select few where I'm like, okay, yeah, you know, uh, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, yeah, but those, those are guys ones, those are household are making money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But other kids are still making pretty solid money too. Yeah, like, but it's like that, everything. It's like any sort of entertainment, right? Which is, uh, the money they make is relative to how popular they are. True, true. not necessarily how good they are, right? And yes. that, like, um, and that's just the way it goes, right? Like, um, 
Bryce Young is the quarterback for Alabama. So he naturally he's going to have a lot of money, right? He's on those commercials. I'm sure he, I'm sure, right. He does just fine. Whereas like he's, he's selling Toyotas at the dealership. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas like someone else, right. Might not. Uh, but I guess like, that's the way it goes, right? Like, um, you know, like a GCU player. I don't know if any of our guys are getting NIL money. I don't know. Sure. They they are. I'm I'm curious if there's a GCU collective. There has to be. Yeah. Yeah. Very curious. Hey, um, here's another thing too, is speaking of like conference realignment and how football is kind of destroying college athletics. Yeah. Um, true. Do you think there will be a time in the future where conferences don't exist in college football? Maybe in the way that we know them now, but no in the sense that i think there will always have to be some sort of conferences like i don't think i don't think you'll ever just have like a hundred independent teams running around okay um i think there will always be conferences they might look different from what they are now uh, i wouldn't mind um i wouldn't mind having conferences that are not independent entities does that yeah. make sense sure. in that like uh in uh in like high school sports for example uh AIA division, whatever has like seven divisions, but the divisions are just based on location in your conference, you know, well, or and like the NBA the Western conference yeah. or the, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, right. Or like AFC even like West. the NFC has four divisions, but like, it doesn't really matter. I, so I think like having divisions broken down by like geography in your like division of play, all regulated by the NCAA, like could be something that exists. So, uh, but I, I don't, I don't know. Like I could see this current conference system falling apart, but I think some sort of conference system will always be necessary because I don't think having 120 independent teams would be good. No, 100%. I think that would be really, I think that would be a nightmare. 100%. All right. Well, uh, that was quite the rabbit trail. Hey, do you want to, oh, do you want to head us into or lead us into around the whack? Yeah. Speaking around of conferences. <laughs> Speaking of conferences, we have a conference that we're following, and that's the Western Athletic Conference, the Grand Canyon plays in. A couple of things to look at. Um, so this is we just went on a rant about high school sports and and other things. Uh, we're gonna have another rant coming up as we look at the Wimmers because you know we always do here. Let's go ahead and and look at the Ken Palm rankings, and then um, and then we can look at, at the Wimmers and see how they match. Um, Notable here is in both the uh, WAC men's basketball resume seeding system, which we refer to as the Wimmers, um, and in Ken Palm, the number one team in the conference is still Sam Houston, despite their loss in Utah Valley. Um, That's, I guess, something worth noting. In both the Wimmers and in Ken Palm, Utah Valley is number two. That to me seems right. Um, the argument I think can be made given that Utah Valley just beat Sam Houston, that perhaps Utah Valley ought to be one and Sam Houston ought to be two. Obviously, Sam Houston has a really impressive non conference, which is why they're like in PowerPoint ranked considerably higher. But I think those are the top two teams. Um, Utah Valley won that battle. Um, after the top two is where things start to get kind of interesting. So um, in, in both Ken Palms and the Wimmers, uh, Grand Canyon is third, which I think is fair. Um, we were kind of sitting around that 
spot anyways. Um, New Mexico State kind of fell off. Seattle U had a tough end to their non-conference. I think GCU ought to be third. Here's what here's what's interesting. In in uh in the Wimmers, GCU and Seattle U are actually tied with the exact same amount of points for third. Whereas in Ken Palm, GCU is ranked 40 spots higher than Seattle U. Um GC for reference, um GCU and Seattle U uh have both played one conference game. That conference game was both by them a home game against the same team, Cal Baptist. Uh, GCU beat Cal Baptist by 14. Seattle U beat Cal Baptist by six. Um, I think, and you know, like I am the Seattle U hater, notoriously. Um, I don't think they're that good. Um, But because they're not, they're not, they're Um, not very good. But it is what it is. The Wimmers have them tied with GCU for third. Ken Palm has them at fifth. Now, here's where things get really wacky. Ken Palm has Seattle U at fifth behind number four, New Mexico State, who's absolutely on a skid. The Wimmers has New Mexico State at eight behind Seattle U, Southern Utah, who just beat them, Utah Tech, Stephen F. Austin, and then New Mexico State right there at eight, just barely ahead of Tarleton. Here's here's what's hard. The the I had a very 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 long discussion with Wack Hoops Digest about this, to where he said, because uh, I think I said something like, uh, New Mexico State fans were up in arms about New Mexico State being so low, and I said, uh, I think I could make the argument for New Mexico. I, I would put New Mexico State at six personally. I could see the argument for them as high as four, which is where they are in Ken Palm right now. But I would say, yeah, to put them below Grand Canyon, Seattle, and Southern Utah, who just beat them in New Mexico State, I think to put them below Southern Utah makes sense. Um, I think to also put them below Utah Tech and Stephen F. Austin uh, is is interesting. Um, and, and the question asked to me by Wack Hoops Digest is, what has New Mexico State done to deserve to be ranked higher? And this was particularly with Utah Tech, who is ranked sixth, who has a positive whack points, a positive 0.08. New Mexico State has a negative 0.41. Um, so New Mexico State is considered a below average team. Utah Tech is an above average team. Um, my arguments that were made that are still exist is this. New Mexico State has a much harder strength of schedule. Because of this, New Mexico State has more losses. Utah Tech is nine and six. New Mexico State is seven and seven. That's because New Mexico State has played a stronger schedule. Incidentally, New Mexico State's best win is against a team ranked much higher than Utah Tech's best win. New Mexico State's worst loss is against a team who is much better than Utah Tech's worst loss. And by those three metrics plus the eye test, I believe that New Mexico State is better than Utah Tech. Ken Palm agrees with that pretty significantly, right? New Mexico State being fourth in the conference at 130. Um, Utah Tech all the way down in 11th at 193, according to Ken Palm. So we have Ken Palm says New Mexico State is three and Utah Tech is 11th. The Wimmers has Utah Tech ranked sixth and New Mexico State ranked eight. For those two algorithms to be that far apart is really crazy. And that's my evidence that this was not this, that the Wimmers was not. Ken Palm? A Ken Palm thing. Yeah, I mean, it's Ken Palm thing. has it's them at 11 thing. in the WAC, Utah Tech. Yeah. Wimmers has them at 6. That's where they belong, dude. They're a Division II team. They just moved up. Yeah, I think that's right. And New Mexico State uh, at 8. I think 8 is is too low. 
when Ken Palm has them at four, like I said, I can see the argument for them being somewhere between four through six. I think, I think if you want to say Seattle, you and Southern Utah should be above them. I'll say, okay. Cause they just lost it to, to Southern Utah right at home. So it's so okay. I think to put them lower than that is interesting. Um, I guess we'll get some sort of vindication on this tomorrow. They play Stephen F. Austin, who's ranked right above them at number seven. Interestingly, Stephen F. Austin um, is also ranked seventh in Ken Palm. So Stephen F. Austin is pretty constant at seven in both Ken Palm and Wimmers. It's the teams around them that are all over the place. But I think they have that right. I think both algorithms acknowledge Stephen F. Austin's a pretty average team. They're capable of hanging with good teams. They're capable of losing to bad teams. What... Uh, what's New Mexico State going to show us here? Unfortunately, because Stephen F. Austin has a has like a negative Wimmers ranking, this win is not going to do very much for New Mexico State. Even if they win, I project that they will maybe jump Stephen F. Austin, but will not go higher than seventh. Whereas in Ken Palm, uh, they probably will stay at four unless GCU goes 0-2 this weekend. Um, but that's a really, that's a discrepancy that I see as really concerning. Um, at how far apart those two teams are. Uh, another one is Cal Baptist. Cal Baptist, uh, they had a tough start to whack play, 0-2 with a loss at GCU and a loss at Seattle U. Now, GCU and Seattle U, like we said, are, are pretty good teams. They're in that second tier of teams that are good but are maybe not at the top of the conference. Um, but Cal Baptist uh, in Ken Palm is pretty much where they are. They're eighth with 176, right? They're around. Wimmers has them at 12. The Wimmers has Cal Baptist as the second worst team in the conference below Tarleton, below UTRGV, way below U six spots below Utah tech below Abilene Christian and just above UT Arlington, who I think we can all agree is the worst team in the conference. Um, well, unless you're, you're Ken Palm. Um, but so, so that's another one that like, man, that's really crazy. UTRGV, Ken Palm has them as the worst team in the conference by a good margin. The only team in the three hundreds, the Wimmers has them at 10 above Cal Baptist, above Adeline Christian, above UT Arlington. I this don't know. Is the same Cal Baptist that has a guy who has NBA draft prospects at not NBA draft prospects, but NBA scouts at the GCU game. Yeah. Do you know about this? No. Oh. One Ooh. of their number one, I'm trying to think it's like Tehran something or whatever, whatever. Uh, regardless, you had some NBA scouts there, I guess. Tehran um, Armstrong, yeah, yeah, yeah. NBA scouts there for him. Hey, that hey, his team is the 12th worst team in the conference, though, out of 13 teams, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not buying that. I don't think they're that bad. Um, I don't, they, they didn't look, they didn't look super impressive to me. Um, well, but here's the deal. They are going to play Utah Tech at home, and they're actually projected to win that game. So, like, according to Ken Palm, the Wimmers, I don't know. Um, this is, like, look, we just... The further into the season we get, the less willing I am to accept the just wait and see. Um, that seems to be what's been kind of pitched around is, like, just wait and see. Once teams start playing each other, it'll even out, and what you'll see is it'll look... Uh, it'll match up pretty well with conference standings and with the eye test, and... Uh, what I'm saying is, hey, it's actually not doing that. Just wait and see. Just wait and see. First week of conference play, still not looking like either the eye test or Ken Palm. Um, I'm concerned. What What is your level of concern with the women's right now? Are you more concerned? Are you less concerned? Are you the same? 
it's it's basically the same that I've been saying this whole time. Okay, first and foremost, you cannot include non-conference things in in a in a conference seating system. I'm sorry. What you did in early November, it doesn't matter. It, it shouldn't matter when it comes to how you're seated in March. Okay. The second thing is, I said this last week, um, or something along the lines. Imagine GCU and New Mexico State both play at Utah Valley on the road, okay? Say GCU beats Utah Valley by 40 points on the road, okay? You're rewarded or awarded one point for beating Utah Valley. Say New Mexico State goes in and beats Utah Valley on the road by four, not 40. Well, they also get one point. There's no style points to this. There's no real metrics to this. It's just, hey, you beat this team or you lost to this team, so you're awarded or deducted this amount of points. And, oh, guess what? We're also going to throw in how you did in the in the non-conference with this. And the, par- the problem I have with the non-conference is your measurement for how the teams outside of the conference is is so uh, it's so subjective, I would say. As comparing, you know, what's going on in your conference alone. That makes sense. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah. Here's here's another interesting thing. I don't know what you make of this. So Sam Houston, like we said, they moved up in Ken Palm. They lost to Utah Valley and lost 0.22 Wimmers points. Okay. Now it's on the road against an opponent that's slightly lower ranked than them, but like, you know, it's definitely not what we would consider a bad loss. Okay. Mm-hmm. They got 0.68 for beating New Mexico State. They got three times more from beating New Mexico State, who's eighth, by the way, than they lost from Utah Valley. It doesn't make sense, Zach. I know. It is It is a terrible system. I know. There's it is. Just, it's there's not no a good rhyme. system. There's no rhyme to the reason. I don't like it. There's no method to the madness. Yeah, I don't it's like it. Southern Utah, Southern Utah got a lot from that win against New Mexico State. That is deserved. Um, but yeah, so, so let's look at the, the women's ranking right now. This is what it is. Sam Houston is at one Utah Valley is at two grand Canyon and Seattle are tied for third. For some reason it has grand Canyon above above? Seattle. I don't know if that actually matters or alphabetical. Yeah. Um, so like, I don't know if that's some sort of tie break is being taken into account there. Um, they're both one and oh against that would be the only thing that would make sense for the women's is the tie break between two teams that have the same Wimmer's points is whichever comes first alphabetically gets the, gets the as, higher as a G <laughs> as a G I feel all right about that. As long as it's not Abilene Christian right. or Cal Baptist, which it's not going to be. Um, I personally would prefer head to head, but that's okay. Um, yeah. So GCU three, Utah, or GCU and Seattle tied for that third, fourth Southern Utah at five. Um, that I think is fine. They made a jump. They, one in New Mexico State, gutsy performance. Um, and then I, I believe what they won another game too, right? Aren't they 2 0? They beat UTRGV, um, yeah. who isn't very good, but road wins are road wins. Um, Utah Tech is is six. That I think is an over, they're overrated. That's way too high. Um, that team's not actually good. Um, but Stephen F. Austin is at seven. Stephen F. Austin is, they're, they're kind of nice. I think they're a lot better than Utah Tech. Um, they're playing New Mexico State. New Mexico State and so Stephen F. Austin are playing each other, and they are respectively number seven and eight. What I what I don't like is whoever wins that game because they're so close uh, probably will not move up enough to jump Utah Tech, 
Uh, but whoever loses will probably not fall low enough to go below Tarleton. So I think what we're going to see is those teams will actually probably stay at seven and eight after that game. The order might be switched. If New Mexico state wins, they might be seven and Stephen F. Austin might be eight, but those teams will probably stay at seven and eight below Utah tech, which I think is wild. Tarleton's at nine, which I guess is okay. Uh, I think Cal Baptist is too low. I also think Abilene Christian's too low. Um, I think having those teams at 11 and 12 is kind of nuts. Um, but I mean, it is what it is. Abilene Christian did lose to Stephen F. Austin, but they did beat uh, they did beat Tarleton. Um, so it is what it is. UTRGV is tenth. Um, it is what it is. Abilene Christian's eleventh. They're a little too low. Cal Baptist is twelfth. They're a lot too low. And UT Arlington's thirteenth. That's right fine. where they belong. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, that's that's what we have. Um, that's what we have. Uh, so there's still some pretty big discrepancies looking at uh, Utah Tech is six ranks higher. New Mexico State is six uh, is four ranks lower um, than they ought to be. Cal Baptist is five ranks lower than they ought to be. Um, those are the things that I think are can Seattle U is, is, is still ranked too high. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's what we have. Um, I don't know how in the world you're going to tell me that GCU and Seattle U are equivalent teams right now. Um, I, I think that's just bonkers, um, but I guess we'll find out when we play them. Um, you know what would be awesome, Zach? What? Is if we just did seeding based on standings. It'd be really cool. Um, I did ask, because, you know, I had a very heated, I I feel like once a week, every time I do this podcast, I have a new discussion that I've had with Wack Hoops Digest that ultimately turns into me saying the Wimmers is bad and him saying, just wait and see, like, it'll be all right. Um but I did pose the question, which is next year, because we're losing two teams and we'll have 11 conference teams. Can we just play 20 conference games and not do this? Um, so that would be my hope for next season is I do get like, we can't play 24 conference games. So there's yeah. a strength yeah. of schedule aspect. And that's why we need an algorithm. Sure. We're losing two teams. We'll have 11 teams. Can we just play 20 conference games and just, just add two more and, and that'll be that please. I'm, that I'm would be my, with, Hey Zach, I'm fine with that. That, that yeah, sounds too. good to me. Yeah. Do you want to close the night with listener questions? Before we do that, I have one more kind of just thing to mention that I think is interesting. Yeah. Uh, we'll get into that in a sec. Ken Palm does uh, basically an all-conference team that they have. Have you seen that? <laughs> yes, I did. I just saw yeah. that for the first time today. Uh, I just want to like really quickly go over the Western Athletic Conference allkenpalm.com team, um, which is just funny. Um, and they're ranked one through five. I don't know if that's because that's their actual ranking. Like, I don't know if this is like actually the player of the year rankings, but um, that's what they are. Number five is Trey Woodbury from uh, Utah Valley. He's a senior. He's been, he's been really good. He's been a big part of their wins at BYU and Oregon. He's, he's a good player. Um, Tevion J- uh, Jones, number four uh, for Southern Utah. He's the guy you said, he just, he'd just be shooting threes. He shot 10 threes in that last game against New Mexico state. He'd be shooting threes. Um, Cameron Tyson of Seattle used number three. He's a junior. So the first non-senior on the list, um, Rayshon Harrison is number two GCU. The only underclassman on the list. He's a sophomore. And then number one, I don't know how to say his name. Qua Grant, uh, Grant, number one, he is a senior Sam Houston state. Uh, he's a good player. Uh, and so we're going to get to see that showdown between numbers one and two on the, the Ken Palm rankings on Saturday. Exciting stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So listener questions. All right. We got one listener question. Okay. This is from our guy, Matt Hawkins. Okay. 
Thanks for being active, Matt. We appreciate yeah, we appreciate it, Matt. We need more. We more. We need more activity on on these tweets. Okay. He went to a Gonzaga game a couple days ago. I think that's big time. I know. What a man. Okay, so his question is: Is Sam Houston versus GCU a preview for the WAC championship? Who is the biggest dark horse going into conference play? Well, let me just first and foremost answer that first question. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. I think clearly we we've said it over and over again. I think Sam Houston state and Utah Valley are, you know, a different level when it comes to the, uh, I guess, power rankings in this conference. Um, GCU, I would say is the dark horse. Hmm. And, and yeah. I don't know if that actually qualifies because GCU was, you know, picked <laughs> to win the conference. Um, they were preseason favorite when it came rankings to are useless though it is true that's true um <laughs> but, yeah. but i do think it it, it it changes the perspective of what you consider a dark horse or not but i don't think anybody is really considering i'm sorry i shouldn't say that i don't think anybody who is paying close attention would really consider gcu a favorite right now and so i think to say that gcu is a dark horse would be kind of a, a rational way to look at it and saying out of the teams that aren't Sam Houston and Utah Valley. I think GCU probably has the best chance of winning the whack. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't like that odds. I'd prefer to be one right. of the top two teams or the yeah. top team, but we'll get a first round by. Um, I think, I think in, in response to the first question, um, I think to say that GCU Stephen F. Austin, uh, it very well, or not Stephen F. Austin, GCU Sam Houston, it very well could be the WAC championship, but it certainly is not the expected outcome. I think to say that it is is a slap in the face to Utah Valley, who kind of looks nuts and just beat the crap out of Utah uh, Sam Houston State. Yeah. So it's possible. It's very possible. I think it's entirely likely that GCU finds ourselves in a semifinal game against one of those teams. Um. And one of them will probably them. be the one. Yeah. And maybe, maybe. Um, but that's what I, I would look at for my dark horse team. I, I'm thinking the team that I think will overshoot their projection the most. Uh, and so that's why I, I wouldn't go GCU. Like you said, just because they're coming into conference play. Uh, I have them third. Where do I think they'll finish third? Um, I don't know that that's going to move much. If they jump into the top two, I'd be really impressed. The team that I think is going to overachieve and they're already kind of doing it is Stephen F. Austin. Uh, They ended their non-conference play with kind of a bang. They won five out of their last six and the loss was to Furman by two in the semi away. Um, They're, they're a team that I think at the beginning of conference play was like seventh or eighth. Um, I think they were eighth. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be too surprised to see this team. Just keep winning. They are two and zero so far. They beat Abilene Christian. They beat UT Arlington. They look good. They look good. They passed the eye test for me, and they're better than I think they're they're ranked. Um, yeah, I just think Stephen F. Austin's going to uh, overperform their projections. They're kind of my my dark horse team when I look at like I'm kind of thinking in the mind of who are going to be our four teams that get buys, and I think it's it's looking like. Sam Houston and Utah Valley will probably be top two. I think, I think it's really likely that GCU is a top four team that gets a buy. Um, as for that fourth team, New Mexico state's not playing well. Seattle's overrated. I really wouldn't be too surprised to see Stephen F. Austin be the four seed and get a first round buy. Um, and I know that would be, they were, I think coming into conference play, they were eighth right now. They're seventh after starting out two and 0. 
I wouldn't be too surprised to see them finish fourth and get a first round by. They look pretty nice. They're and they're also course. 12 and 0 in conference play, um, regular season play since January 26th of last year. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. They're, they're not bad. They're not bad at all. Yeah. Um, Hey, since we're already like deep into this thing, um, you went to the college football playoff semifinal. Oh my gosh. I sure did. (laughs) So, so I was actually in Phoenix, um, from Christmas day past, um, past new year. So I was there from, from the 25th to January 2nd. And uh, I really wanted to go to, to the uh, the Fiesta Bowl. I really wanted to go. You want to know what I ended yeah. up going to? What the guaranteed rate bowl? Was that the? Was that like <laughs> someone at Chase Field? Yeah, with with oh, and like Wisconsin, Wisconsin or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was very That's weird. Hilarious. I got Chick Fil A at the game though. That was pretty sweet. Nice, nice. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I have a friend, uh, or I guess not a friend. My a, f- a family member, uh, someone who I know works for ping the golf company oh, and shoot. so those, okay. those were their those were their corporate seats um, dang and so so i ended up going with some family um what were your thoughts on the game it was awesome i it was awesome i, I think it was nice to it's nice to watch uh, a really important game between two teams when you're not particularly a fan of either team because sure. what i found was that i wasn't ever really stressed out and i just got to enjoy like awesomeness um, yeah. which is what that game was. There seriously was a span from the end of the third to the beginning of the fourth where there were five touchdowns in six minutes of game time. I couldn't just, believe like, just, it. Just an epic game of football. TCU won. I was sitting in the Michigan section. They were so mad. It was just <laughs> incredible. Like it was a great game. Um, Duggan's got that dog in him. Um, <laughs> there was a guy in front of me wearing the, I don't know if he's in like the bar stool. Uh, it's got the hypno toad on it. And it just says frogs by night. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I was like losing my mind. That guy was like in a sea of Michigan, just like being super obnoxious. And it was so funny. Um, just, it was, it was really cool. It was a really, really cool game. Um, uh, yeah, it was, it was really, it was really fun, uh, fun game to see. And it was honestly really good seats. So it was a blast. Nice dude. Blast. What did you, uh, what did you think about that touchdown that was overturned for Michigan? The one where he fell on his oh. butt. Um, in real, t- it's one of those things where like, just in real time, it looks like a touchdown, you know? Yeah. So I thought like, oh, that's a touchdown. <laughs> I, sure. I don't know. I thought it was a touchdown. Um, I, I really, I think that I've seen this so many times this year and it's driving me crazy, which is there's this thought process. My dad said this when he was watching it, which is like, it doesn't matter. Cause have first and goal with the ones that touch like an automatic touchdown. And like, as like Actually the more football I've watched this year is like, I think that's the curse of this, which is, I think what happens is we've seen a lot of bad calls, both in college and NFL of like first and goal at the one. It's not actually a touchdown when like it sh- probably should be a touchdown, should be, yep. but teams don't actually mind because of that. Like, Oh, it's still first and goal at the one. It's a pretty easy touchdown. Yeah. But then I see teams not convert that first and goal touchdown as often as they should. Exactly. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it should be a touchdown. Um, but it is what it is. Like, I, I don't know, man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did you watch the Ohio state Georgia game? I did not. I had, I had some plan. I immediately drove to Scottsdale to hang out with some friends for, for new years, but I, I kind of kept tabs on it. Uh, I saw the egregious kick at the end of the game. Um, not only at the end of the game, that thing hit the ground 
as the clock struck 12 on the East coast. Yeah. Just incredible. Um, it was for what it's worth in real time. When I watched it, my first thought was, Oh, that's a bad snap. And then he shanked it by a mile. Um, uh, so I don't know how much to put the blame all on the kicker, but like, man, that was really bad. Um, really bad way to start the year for Buckeyes fans. Um, I'm okay with that. Uh, rest <laughs> in peace, the big 10. Um, you would have loved the college football championship. You would have loved it. Um, <laughs> uh, do you think TCU has any chance to win? I don't think so. Yeah. You know, every, every ounce of rationale in my being is saying they lose that game by 21 plus. But at the same time, I thought that was the same thing with the Michigan game. I yeah. thought they were going to go in there and get absolutely like stomped on. Yeah. Me but, too. I did too. I really thought Michigan was going to beat them by sh- 21. They, went, they technically like went and smoked them. Like it was, yeah, it was not a Michigan close never game let. On. Michigan never let. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, it was, it was basically um, Michigan was down two scores for most of the game until the very tail end. But yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, if, if I'm going with reason, I'm going to say, you know, Georgia by, I, I think the line they're, opened up at like 17, 13. Oh, I think, oh, I think right now they're 13 point favorites. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and I think that's probably low. <laughs> um, yeah. But you know what? I, I, you know what? I, nobody would complain if it was a close game except for maybe Georgia fans. So did you hear what Kirby Smart said after the game? The Georgia no, coach? No. Dude, it was the most incredible post game interview I've ever heard from okay. a team winning a game. Okay. He was just, he was just ruthless. And he basically like, he said something like, it was like the most crazy thing I've ever heard a coach of a winning playoff game say, which is like, you know, like there's times when it's like, yeah, our team didn't play very well, but like we fought through, he was like, not having, he's like, we played bad. We deserve to lose. Ohio state deserved to win. Like we played really badly. Like this was a nightmare. We got to get it fixed. And then and I was just like, well, like, he was like going in. I'm like, no, Ohio state played better. They deserved to win this game. We did not play well. And then they asked him, they're like, uh, how do you, do you feel ready for Texas Christian? And he's like, no, Nope, we're not. No, not right now. We're not. We're not ready to play this team. He was just like so. He was like, "We are terrible. We look so bad. We're not ready to play anybody. We suck." And I was just like, "Dude, this team's gonna come out and beat Texas Christian by thirty-five because they're gonna be running sprints after winning a semifinal game. Like, dude, they're gonna come out with the fear of God in them because of Kirby Smart, <laughs> and they're gonna they're gonna beat the crap out of Texas Christian. Dude, let's yeah, go, Kirby. That's that hilarious. It that was so, so funny." funny. He was going nuts. I'll send you that interview if I can find it. He was going crazy. Please do. Please do. <laughs> All right. You got anything else for the people, Zach? No, I got uh, one month until tennis season starts. All righty. Here we go. Well, uh, the professional tennis season actually started yesterday, and I've been up watching tennis. Yeah, I saw you say something like about somebody playing like Flappy Bird or something during a during yeah, a break yeah <laughs> okay uh it's raining in in auckland which is uh auckland new zealand is like the f- usually the first majors the australian open so they have a bunch of tournaments down there in australia new zealand to like kick off the season do you know who coco goth is uh, i heard the name but i don't know who she's a is. young american she she made her professional debut at 15 and she was like 15 playing in like a major um yeah. and so she's like really really good from like a young age i think now she's like 18 or 19 but there was like uh there was there was like just a number of rain delays so it was like rain you come out you play one game or two games and it's rain again um but she went up four zero she's the one seed in this tournament and then immediately lost four games in a row 
And I was like, oh, she's going to like fall apart and lose this match. And then it went into a rain delay, which is really good because she got that kind of like mental reset of like clearly the other player had momentum. And then she came out and kind of cleaned up. And so they asked her in the post game of like, what did you do to like mentally? And she like came out and like won the second set 6-1. So she won like 6-4 and then 6-1. So she won like eight out of nine games. And she was like, yeah, I was just scrolling on TikTok. Oh. <laughs> like, dude, it was just so I don't know funny. where I got the idea that she was playing a game or whatever. But that would be even better. Scroll, scroll can you imagine to... like you're you're playing like a like a literal teenager in like a professional sport and like there's like a delay and they're just watching He's over there TikTok. playing Clash of Clans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> playing Clash of Clans. And then do they come out and just oh like completely dust you? <laughs> like I'm just trying to think of that in any other sport it would be so funny. Like you go in like like imagine like because in tennis, like you share a locker room. Imagine, imagine Donovan Mitchell, yeah, in the locker yeah. room before the game. You know, um, playing, playing. <laughs> he's, he's like, he's like playing Subway Surfers, dude. I love. He goes Subway out and drops seventy one. I reinstalled that game for the first time since like twenty fourteen, dude. That's the blast. only. That's the only game I played during class at GCU, dude. That game's so fun. But yeah, I thought that was really funny. So that was that's that's what I've been doing watching tennis. Um, gotcha. coaching tennis. Alrighty. Awesome. Go ahead and watch the Lopes on ESPN Plus, both on Thursday and on Saturday. We're hoping for a good weekend, not something that will absolutely crush our dreams and, and destroy our aspirations to win the WAC. But um, um, we're excited to see what these Lopes are able to do here. So um, until next time, Lopes up. Lopes up. <laughs>